Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Oh no, sorry, wrong script, wrong script. Just after eight o'clock, uh, and it is midweek motorsport on a Wednesday evening here in the UK. We're on series 16, episode 46, and up in London is our executive producer, Tim Gray, who tonight has prepared chicken with a tarragon and cream sauce. And on a packed programme tonight, Tim, we have what? Well, tonight we're going to be asking our first pair of chefs to uh, make an <laughs> make an omelette with seafood of their choice. Yes, excellent. And I'm going to give them ten minutes for that. Well, just ten minutes, right? Okay, you're I mean, it's an omelette. Uh, no, seriously, on the show tonight, uh, we really have a packed show tonight. Uh, so packed, we've had to have a, a separate program. Afterwards. Well. We were going to include a large chunk of uh, our interview with Anthony Davidson in tonight's show, uh, but our programme is so packed that we don't. So we're going to give you about a minute of Anthony Davidson. And if you want to hear the rest of uh, the Tyler's Long One with Anthony Davidson, that's on tonight at 10 here on RS1. Uh, Stay tuned. It's worth uh, listening to. As a download. but within Midweek Motorsport, of course, because it's only 30 days till Christmas now, yep. uh, it's Christmas Eve. Uh, Eve's Christmas present ideas will be Excellent. Uh, on air uh, sometime during the first hour of the show. We have a big interview uh, with the with man a bit of look and a fair of, uh, wind. BMW M Motorsport. Yes, Mike the, Crack will be joining us the newly, uh, just after nine. Newly merged uh, department. Yes, uh, indeed. We have Nick Damon's team by team guide to the Qatar Grand Prix. And uh, our experts will be announcing their nominees for this year's uh, Show of the Year awards. Uh, nine categories. It is a, the biggest award ceremony we have ever done. Wow. Okay. Plus, uh, uh, Shay and Declan will be joining us as well. Oh, excellent. So we really do have a patch here tonight. I better crack on then, hadn't I? Hello to the Colonel, TM, who says no AFAs tonight. He said Christian Horner went too far with his comments about marshalling. When done the FIA for giving an official warning and that quote-unquote apology was pathetic. Great coverage from 24-hour series at Sebring. Yes, thanks to Andrew, Marriott and to Nick and particularly to Kreventnik and uh, O221, those are his 
um, who are just extraordinary how they got that race on at the weekend. An apology is not apology if it starts with if I upset someone or if I uh, offended anybody. That's not an apology. That's an excuse. Um, so, Colonel, I completely uh, agree with you. Hello to Dave Alcock, who's listening live tonight. And to Andy Douglas and to Gareth Evans. Always good to have your company this evening. Uh, Randy Brown's not listening live tonight. He's going to save the podcast so he can have some company tomorrow when working. Running the Holiday Express Mail all over Seattle. But looking forward to the usual thing. Of course, yes, it is um, It is Thanksgiving, isn't it, uh, tomorrow in the US. So, uh, well, those of you who are celebrating, uh, enjoy. Kevin Payne is listening on the podcast. Another leaving do. Uh, not me, he says. Not sure why they keep picking Wednesday. Not sure why they keep leaving, Kevin. You need to get to the bottom of that. Uh, Jesse Young says, EFA is tonight so thrilled about the day change for the Bathurst 12 hours. We did tell you that quite some time ago. Crazy was right on the money, wasn't he? Uh, thanks for the heads up on last week's show. Managed to get all my accommodation dates changed. Finally set for the great race to return. And it is the great race, of course, not this weekend, but next weekend. We'll have news of Creelsey's uh, promos and previews. For that, right turn lover, uh, for the usual raising. And hello to right to miss, to, to mum, right turn. At some stage, RTL, we've got to stop calling your mum just RTL's mum. We actually need... We actually need a, a, a name or some a, a better way to refer to your mum. Although we're very pleased that she says hello. And season's greetings back to you. Sarah is at work, hoping to be at home for uh, tonight's show. Um, Sarah, hope you're back home already. No AFAs for Brodie. After two shows missed, a revision break from gas turbines. <laughs> Exam Friday crosses fingers. And hits afterburners, presumably. Um, cheers, Brody. Uh, COVID blues for Otter FR, but looking forward to the podcast. Disappointed not being headhunted by Aston Martin F1. Alex, very good. Alexander Orkin, evening all. Looking forward to the show. Multitasking with prep for what I hope will be a good supply chain meeting tomorrow for what was a shush project, but now isn't. Uh, spaghetti a la puttanesca uh, this evening. Oh, excellent. That's with olives, isn't it? Yes, it is. Black olives. Entropy Nebula, Ent- Entropy Nebula is building what is the most amazing uh, guitar pedal bars. Uh, building some loops into my pedal board. Next stop, 80s hair metal. Looking forward to Ant Davidson. Pains me that he never won Le Mans. Uh, lesser men half, etc., etc. And a very nice Ibanez guitar. Uh, as well there, I've just tweeted my uh, picture of my Schechter uh, Corsair, which is what I was playing last night, funny enough. Chris Suku, hello Chris, uh, sending airfares, having a business dinner, looking forward to the archive. Uh, in Pit Lane, saving the podcast for the long dra- drive down to Phillip Island for Island Magic, first uh, back there for 18 months. Uh, hello to, oh, hang on, I need to scroll up, to Dave. To Ted the Toyman, no FAs, listening tonight before heading out to watch a stage of the Adelaide Rally this afternoon. Excellent. Ian McCarthy, EFAs before the Thursday breakfast catch-up. 
Uh, looking forward to hearing from Mike. Listen, uh, enjoyed seeing the M4 at the track of the weekend. That's Mike Crack from BMW. Jill's Audi Bridge. In for the first 10, then back to work. Archive for my work journey to the race, for the racing version of a C4 Grand Picasso. I need pictures of that. Hello to Stiggy Marley. Counting down the first half hour in my work week. Carol Brink and Kevin both tuned in in Monterey, California. House to myself for listening live uh, for the radio with football on silent on the TV, says Jim I am. Davey Two Brews checking in, being a tough day in the office, a glass of wine and midweek motorsport. Patron listening in, Moni listening in, Moni Elisim on our lunch break. And Neil Gardner, EFA, it's a bit tipsy, you have to eat, eat cake. Hello to Serafina, who is listening live, as is Jonathan Main. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. At Specutainment, by the way, if you would uh, like to get in touch with us tonight, Tim Gray has shuffled papers and to the top for the big... Uh, for the big, for the big story, the top story is what Tim Greer. What do well, we have today? We're going to start with World Superbike news, right? Uh, so Lovely. let's introduce uh, our two guests for this. Uh, first of all, Nick Damon. Good evening, Nick Damon. Good evening, Tim Gray. Good evening, John Hindoff. And good evening. Now you have introduced me. It's Declan Brennan. And good evening, Declan Brennan. Good evening, everybody. And I will be playing the part of Nick Damon tonight when it can comes to saying the word Raz Gatliogu. <laughs> so, do you know what? There's nobody more more uh, uh, unex- uh, more more surprised than me that all of that worked there because we've got all sorts of people coming in in all sorts of different ways. And what you didn't know, Dex, is that we haven't got the usual equipment here where I am because it, it went pop last week. So I, the fact that all that worked, I'm tremendously excited about. Uh, yeah. Prayers we- and blind faith are a great thing, I have to <laughs> say. I'm a big fan. And a lot of wires just hanging all over the place yes. at the moment. Uh, we, we have That's your normal Tim- decor in there, surely. No, no, it's normally quite neat and tidy. Can we you have turn got up world- Declan to the world, please? Yes, I can, a little bit, yeah. Nobody's ever said that before, blimey. Blimey, Charlie. Uh, we have got uh, we have got champions. Uh, Tim, where would you like to go with this? Uh, we have a World Superbike Championship, and it's not poor old Johnny Ray. Deck no, up. it's it's uh, very much uh, Top Rack, and one day I'll actually go and record a full version of that to the tune of Top Cat. I nearly uh, downloaded top, that top from the uh, Hanna-Barbera... <laughs> Greatest theme tunes uh, CD, <laughs> but I've got no. The thing is, I'm going to do. I'm going to do the choruses and, and and the layer of the vocals and everything. But the problem is, uh, I need to write it because it needs to fit. Because most uh, 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 you can't call him TC because his name is TR for a start. So uh, there's lots of things we have to adjust the lyrics with before we do it. But we will. Maybe that's a, a Christmas thing we'll do for Christmas. Anyway, Top Rack Razgatliogu is your new World Superbike champion. Yamaha are your new World Superbike champions, uh, making me look a fool uh, for my pet theory that it is impossible to run a uh, successful World Superbike and MotoGP uh, <laughs> team at the same time, irrespective if they're run by different people. Take a bow, Crescent, hmm. uh, Yamaha. Uh, but yes, that's what they did. And uh, Razgatlioglu came into the final round with a 30-point advantage. Uh, knowing really that a second place finish, even to Jonathan Ray in the first race, was going to be enough. 
uh, he threw all, uh, how would we put this? Uh, he threw caution to the wind, is what he did. Uh, he, instead of playing and riding in any way defensively, uh, he just went for broke and yeah, decided, just... if I win this race, nothing else matters. Yeah. And I really, really loved that he did that, John. I yeah. loved that. Uh, it, it was it was bold in some ways. It, it shows how he has developed over the season. Nick, remember back to to last year, the um, you know he 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 went to pieces after well, after middle part of the season. There was an opportunity for him, but he, he couldn't quite he couldn't quite convert it. Look, we're we're getting into you know WS. Um, WSBK review here, but frankly, he the extra year Nick has has done top rock Razgadlioglu the world of good. Yeah, um, let's get this absolutely out there. Top rock is absolutely the deserving champion. He's ridden particularly well. He's taken the advantages the bike has and maximised them. And I think I think on I think he actually fell off one time less than than Johnny. Both of them pushing so hard they made mistakes. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's been coming. I mean, let's be honest, Declan has championed him more than the rest of us. Um, I think that... Uh, Do you think you'd have championed Johnny... him more if you could say his name, Nick? <laughs> He's got top rag. And uh, in fairness, yes, I think you're right. Uh, I, I, I am anti-people. I can't pronounce his surname. Um, if, you, if, if, you, if you heard the massacre on the podium at the Sebring halfway through the day, phew, blimey, there's a lot of swallowing the I'm surnames, glad, I can Nick, tell I'm you. I'm glad you weren't there. Uh... I'm glad you weren't uh, in the in the in the in the uh, in the business of uh, predicting uh, 1980s European Rallycross winners because you would have given them all to John Smith, <laughs> who was racing a Porsche at the time, but had no chance yeah. of winning. Who's going to win this yeah, week, yeah. Nick? Uh, mm. John the Smith. I, yeah, the only thing I will say is I think that um, hopefully this will allow uh, Dorna to let. Kawasaki have a bit bit back. They've taken off over the last right. five years. Yeah, uh, th- this um, is this is a serious this is a serious point here. There but will I, but, be but, but people. In, sorry, John. In saying that, I don't want to take anything away from top rack champions. No, 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 no. And, and that's what I was going to say. This is a serious point, isn't it? That Nick makes Dex, Dex that that um, you know Kawasaki were dialed back down. It's all done on on revs in in motorcycle racing and what your rev limit is. Yeah. And they will dialed back. There will, unfortunately, be people who will say, if it hadn't been for that, Top Rack wouldn't have run, won. But frankly, what we had was a fantastic... Let's be honest, we had a fantastic... Scott Redding was there or thereabouts and, and could have been even more of a factor than he was. I, I think he'll be probably the most disappointed of, of the yeah, three I of them. That, John. Um, I agree with we had a fantastic year, and Top Rat is a deserving champion. We had we had wheel to wheel racing for what seemed like every race yep. with those two. Uh, and what was interesting to Nick's point, it always felt like to me that Top Rack was on a bike that he was molding. To, well, they definitely Paul Denning admitted this that they were molding the bike to him, and mm. it was getting better, and he was more comfortable all the time, and. To, to counter the argument that he he wouldn't have won the championship, uh, I, I still think there's a lot left there, mm. uh, which is frightening because he's staying in the championship next year. While on the other side of the aisle, the Kawasaki and Jonathan Ray were pushed 
to a level of performance that they've never been pushed to before. And he admitted that too. And he said yeah. he's better as a writer now because yeah. of this. So, so uh, the, the, there, there's probably uh, got to be a bit of a debrief at Kawasaki regarding the platform because it's just it, – gr granted, they've made lots of uh, changes to it and, and subtle air and, and like radical air, aero changes to it mm. uh, over the years and developed it. But it's ultimately – it's an older platform. That yeah. bike is – and that is the thing that I think uh, is they're going to come come a cropper with eventually is that the Yamaha is just a little newer. Yeah. Uh, it's they have absolutely made no bones about the fact that Top Rack's number one and Top Rack is this is going to be uh, a bike that allows him to win the championship and and the likes of Locatelli and Nazane and Garrett Gerloff are going to have to just get on with it. Qu question, uh, serious but, question for both of you here. Um. In some ways, and I, and, I, and I'll start with you, Dex, because you were talking last for no for no other reason than that. Um, <laughs> has uh, winner stays on, talker stays on. Well, but yeah, it's 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 like pull pull down the plug. No, it's like I got fifty p on like the edge. A, then. The last possession, <laughs> having the last possession before the end of the half in American football, knowing oh. you get the, the it's what they call the hairpin. All right, knowing you get the ball to start the second half. So, okay, yeah. Talker talk, talk stays on. Um, in terms of Kawasaki, though. Has having actual competition now? You can. I, I'm not being derogatory here, but the combination of the Kawasaki and Johnny Ray over the last few years has been absolutely unbeatable, and a lot of that's been down to Johnny. Now we start to see how much has been down to Johnny because he has been riding that bike decks to the absolute ragged edge to try and steal up with a well-ridden Yamaha from top rack. And, and particularly under braking, that bike has not got the performance that Johnny needs to steer with a rider and a bike combination like top rack. So have, Well, I'm glad you said that, John, uh, particularly the last sentence about it being a bider and right combination. Yeah. Because, because I don't believe inherently that that there's that much difference no, the Yamaha no, is maybe better on brakes but but we're talking about and, and and i don't believe he's an alien yet i don't believe he's in the top class category but we're talking about an elite rider who who has developed an in an insane and an innate understanding of how to get the most out of that 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 uh that bike uh deep into a corner Correct. and it's startling to watch it's brilliant to oh. watch but but the only time Jonathan Ray, every track, it didn't matter where they went. The only time he was able to really pass him was effectively to take the apex off him, not to outbreak him as such, but to almost bully him through the corner. And uh, and and it was great because it, it it gave us uh, a, a you know two different types of racing, to, uh, two answers to the same question effectively. Yes. And I don't know what what uh, Nick thinks, but I certainly believe that it's a combination of both bike and rider in Toprak's case. So so, so Nick on that. Does that give Kawasaki effectively pause for thought? In the in in point of fact, actually, uh, Yamaha have, have got all our bikes right, and and all our bikes stopped pretty well this year, actually. So they're clearly doing something right on on the chassis and the braking side of things. So what I'm kind of saying is to offset those people who say Kawasaki were disadvantaged with the rev limit, have we found? 
now the limit of Kawasaki and Johnny Ray, and and therefore, you know, as as I said, you said straight, and in fact, you said straight away, Top Rack is a deserving champion. This is a rebalance, and and in some ways, you might say, World Superbikes got it right, then, didn't they? Well, yeah, I think the thing to to think about is that Kawasaki with Johnny have had a situation where they've never really been challenged by a bike. The obviously at the start of 19, the Ducati ran away with it because it had about 1 million more horsepower and then Bautista started falling off. So they never had to bother too much about their bike. What's happened is Johnny's had to ride beyond the envelope of the motorcycle the first time in seven years. And I think what the advantage of that is, I think it's exposed them where they're weak and where they need to go directionally. And as, as you know, Declan said, Point. yeah, they've absolutely figured with the, um, the error, but it's very, very obvious. There are issues at the front end of that bike. Now, there are only issues when Johnny's having to ride at 101%. But they're there, and and to keep up as into corner entry, he has to go to 101 percent, and this is where the platform is not working. I think am I right? It's the only bike on Shower and the restaurant Olins, or if I got that, yeah. that round the wrong way. Uh, it, yeah, it might be around, the, but you're right; they do have different suspension to everybody else. Yeah, but it means that they need to go and sit down using their test days and work out the platform. Now, yeah, you know, it's likely they might have five, six, seven. They might get a few more horsepower, but that's that's just going to help a little bit. But they they need to have a platform where they can be bike can be absolutely ridden as hard as Johnny wants to ride it without occasionally letting him down um, or him obviously not having a safety margin uh, to override. Yeah, I will say uh, we are the one thing we're not taking into account here is the fact that I don't believe Top Rack's development is anywhere near finished. Oh, I'd agree with uh, that. I think as a rider, he's only going to get better and faster. And and if I, and long term predictions, he's going to win the championship again next year, Ooh. and he's going to get he won't be he won't get a secondary. MotoGP ride with, I think I've suddenly dawned on me why uh, Keenan Safoglu has done what he's done, which is Top Rack's manager. Yes, he has held him. He they they committed to 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 more uh, World Superbike. Didn't take the uh, the opportunity to get on the uh, the monster uh, uh, Yamaha in in, uh, in MotoGP because there's basically more than half the grid's contract are up for 2024. So he will be on a prime seat or candidate for a prime uh, if he wins the MotoGP Championship again next year. I think he will. Uh, sorry, twenty twenty three. He'll uh, he yeah. he will be in a prime position to get a proper top line ride in uh, the following year is, in MotoGP. Still, and I think that's what, thing, what though, the plan is. Dex, is it still a rule you can't go straight into a factory team? That's you a remember great they had question. to they had to they had to give uh, Marquez a waiver to go straight into the works team all those years ago because of um it coincided with Casey Stone's illness. Well don't forget Gerloff did it uh, Yeah, that's a wild card, a, that's oh, different. It's, Gerloff did it as a uh, he replaced uh uh I don't, Gerloff I for one for a session, if you remember, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. two years ago. I think, I think all rules are off during COVID. Um, but that yeah, used to be okay. a rule. That you couldn't go... But then again, he's not coming from the feeder series, is he? I don't think... WSB isn't officially a feeder. I've opened a can of words. I don't know none of the answers. So if you do know the answer, please... But uh, my, um, the usual the, Twitter. The big takeaway... I think the big takeaway is both of them should be in MotoGP. One of them is probably just at the wrong end of his career. The other one arguably has timed it perfectly through smart work with his management. I think he'll win the championship again next year. And then I think the world will be his oyster in MotoGP. And uh, uh, frankly, I can't wait to see him on a MotoGP bike. 
Uh, okay, fantastic. Uh, Dex, don't go too far away because we've got a bit of NASCAR news coming up. Uh, we've also got a couple Nick. of quick MotoGP stories. Oh, excellent. Even better. Uh, because Gazzetta della Sport says that KTM has uh, stolen Francesco Guidotti from Pramac Racing, uh, which suggests that Mike Leitner, who is the current KTM boss, uh, may be on his way shortly. Oh, interesting. Wow. That is interesting. Uh, and and when you say he's stolen them, have they literally gone into their factory unit with with balaclavas over their heads and, and nicked him away in the back of a uh, blacked-out Ford Transit? I mean, that that's what I... I mean, I'd I imagine they used a Fiat Ducato uh, rather oh, than yes, a Ford yeah, very Transit. Oh, yes, very good point. <laughs> yes, yeah. very... very it, it's interesting, though, isn't it, uh, Dex, where the situation is in, um, in MotoGP... Because there, ha- there is quite a lot of talk about people swapping teams, about people behind the scenes, as it were, who are very, yeah. very influential in MotoGP. In, in four-wheeled it, motorsport, we kind of accept that people move around a little bit. But in yeah. two-wheeled sport, it, it is really influential. It's really interesting. It's like, it shows you the dangers of being a satellite team as well, like mm. Pramac, when you get good. And uh, you just can't stop your key staff being taken by other people with more money. But it's just it's like any other sat- sport. Isn't it, that the point of a satellite team, though? Not just the riders. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm no, no. Sure it's a training. Would, would it's a training ground. It. It's a training ground and a stepping stone for engineers, riders, everyone who isn't directly a shareholder. I mean, I think that's absolutely what should happen. Yeah. Uh, it, it, uh, by the way, for those of you who aren't used to that terminology. A satellite team in MotoGP are akin to a, not a full privateer team, but a work supported team in other motorsport. They get some help, they get some bikes, they get some bits, but effectively they're they're raising their own money. And by the way, I'm indebted to Ted the Toyman, who has tweeted in from the future in Australia and said, MotoGP, I believe, has got rid of the Ben Spees rule, which was that rule that you guys oh, were talking yes. about. The which ben is Spies rule, exactly. very, very good. Very good. And Matthew so, Hindman reminds us, Brad Binder went straight into the works KTM team. But he came up from a feeder series, didn't he? So that's not quite the same. Sure. And of course, we have I mean, his brother joining from Moto Three, which is uh, all, stri- almost three to one. Yes, exactly. Yes. Let's just jump exactly. that whole that He's whole Moto Two full, thing. He's doing the full uh, Kimi Raikkonen from from uh, Formula Renault to Formula One, basically. God, God, yeah, that's uh, a long with time. With less ice cream. Now, uh, so the the that issue is not the only uh, issue that. Uh, uh, KTM is going to have with integrating new staff after the fact that Raul Fernandez uh, decided. Uh, oh, that was what, brilliant! Uh, <laughs> basically, Raul Fernandez decided, "Oh yeah, you know, I was runner up to Remy, and it was great and all, but they really, they were really all just basically uh, in the tank for him, and uh, I, I, there was no way I could win." It's like, whoa, <laughs> easy, Tiger. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the, 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 his first. Days as a MotoGP rider for KTM have got a little bit fraught, uh, it has to be said. And I'd like to see how all of that turns out now as their as their teammates, uh, as his teammates with uh, Remy Gardner in the top series. All right. That's uh, uh, Nick Damon and Declan Brennan talking about bikes here on Midweek Motorsport Series 16. Episode 46, a show so full, we've actually had to add half an hour to the end 
for a special Anthony Davidson interview. We'll give you a little taste of that in a wee while. Uh, next up, Tim, where would you like to go? I'll open my microphone. I'd just like to uh, tell you that MotoGP has extended its contracts with uh, Tiso, who've been their timing partner since 2001, and Consorzio Prosecco, who are the sparkling uh, wine let's, provider. Let's, I suspect... Hang on, let's... let's wait a second. Right, 20 years of sponsorship, who knows Tiso's slogan? I have no idea what it is. It's we Swiss everybody action gets a time. Watch. It's Swiss action time. I did know that, but you had to tell me. Oh! Thanks, guys, for the moment. Stand by. <laughs> uh, it's that time of uh, year where we're getting ready for the show of the year and our Midweek Motorsport Awards. This year we have nine categories. We have four of our experts uh, doing the nominations. And we're going to tell you those nominations in uh, three different groups. So group one, which you're about to hear, is our panel's choices, nominees for Bike of the Year, Circuit of the Year and Non-Driver of the Year. Let's have a listen. Bike of the Year is the Ducati. It won the MotoGP Manufacturers Championship for the second consecutive year. I'm going for the Yamaha R7, the world superbike winning uh, machine that finally dethroned the Kawasaki in the hands of Toprak, a machine that has been slowly improved over a number of years to reach the Zenith and take the championship this year. Motorcycle of the Year for me, it has to be the YZRM1, which is the MotoGP bike on which uh, Fabio Quattararo took his first of what I suspect will be many world championships it, it just seemed to be the best overall package it wasn't the fastest that was probably a Ducati um, it probably wasn't the quickest turning that was almost certainly the the Suzuki but my goodness and particularly in the hands of Quattararo what a machine very stable under the brakes that's what makes it the motorcycle of the year YZR M1 from MotoGP for Yamaha I'm going to go back to being a fan of uh, trial biking here. I remember I did this 12 months ago as well. And uh, it will lead nicely into the rider in due course, but it's the Montessa Cota 4RT, the champion bike again in 2021. Circuit of the year is the circuit that put, the, put on the greatest show, put the passion into F1, but also tied up after themselves. And that's Zandvoort. The new design looks fantastic, and I can't wait to see other cars racing around it. Circuit of the Year, Sebring International Raceway. Four series running there this year, four great races. Never has this place held a World Endurance Championship race, at least in the modern era, and I think the first ever six-hour race compared to the 1,000 kilometres. It produced a very interesting WEC race, likewise for the ELMS as well, and the Grand Prix wasn't half bad either. So uh, celebrating its 100th year next year, the Monza uh, Parkland Circuit. My circuit of the year is a circuit that has finally got the international acclaim that it deserves. It, it is the Autodromo International Algarve, Portimao. Uh, it has been stunning for Formula One, for motorcycles in particular. Um, they've invested a lot more money in it. Um, obviously, we've seen sports cars race there as well. And in some ways it's possibly one of the few good things that's come out of the pandemic crisis is that Portimao finally finally 
got to have the international events for which it was built in the first place. My lunch of the year is Toto Wolf, mainly for the reason that if he finds out, it will really annoy Christian Horner. This one's tricky. I've gone with Mike Hall, the managing director for Chip Ganassi Racing. He's also the lead strategist for Scott Dixon. While he didn't get another championship in that or IMSA, both of the programs that he oversaw were super competitive, got a lot of race wins, and we did ultimately see an IndyCar championship with Chip Ganassi's name over the door. That has to go for me. Obviously, the amount of uh, ACO rules racing that I followed this year to the man, I think, co at the at the helm of Team WRT, but he's most recognised as the team principal there. Vincent Voss for an ELMS title, a World Endurance Championship LMP2 title, and he very nearly got a 1-2 finish at LMP2 level at Le Mans as well, were it not for that final lap, but otherwise a flawless display. I agonised over the non-driver of the year, and I had to ask Tim, actually, if I could change my original uh, my original nomination, because rather than going for a person, I've gone for a team, and I've gone for a team in the absolute sense of teamwork, and I'd like to nominate the Toyota Gazoo racing team at Le Mans for their efforts in getting both of their cars home with what should have been terminal issues. Three more categories coming up a little later on in the show. Uh, good evening, Shay Adam. how's that going to work? Oh, sorry, Hello. When we come on to it. Uh, okay, good evening, Shay Adam. Hello, Shay. Hello, Tim. Uh, Declan's still with us as well because... Uh, NASCAR, after two years without doing any practice in qualifying, is now going to reintroduce practice in qualifying. And I think this music's appropriate. <laughs> Shane won't understand this. No, but Shane's going to tell us how qualifying is going to work uh, on it's a uh, most courses. Yeah, it's it's a knockout style qualifying. Uh, they do have practice Very back, good, it's yeah. only 15 minutes of practice for uh, all of the series when they're on their normal stuff. Split into two groups based on finishing positions from previous race. Odd finishers in one group, even finishers in another. Uh, I know, odd numbered. Yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, qualifying group A, five top five go through. Qualifying group B, top five go through. And then there is a reset, 10 cars, single car, one lap, go get it done. Super Speedways, it is a qualifying round for all the cars. Everyone goes out and does one lap. The top 10, basically, times raced, go out, you get one more opportunity to do one more lap, then you get a pole sitter. Road course looks a lot like IndyCar. 20 minutes of practice, then you get two split groups. Once again, 15 minutes on the track, the top five from each of those groups will transfer to the final 10. That from there, we get our pole position. And those ah, 10 but, go out uh, at the same uh, time, don't they? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Declan, your uh, thoughts on this? You know, there's a committee somewhere in NASCAR where they uh, they sit around in you know with brandy and cigars and they think, you know what? What we really need to do is com complicate our sport even more. Uh, we've <laughs> hemorrhaged fans over the last few years by complicating things. What's the, the answer to that? Let's complicate them a bit more. Yeah. So, uh, no, it's fine. They're doing the same as every other every other championship. The funny thing is, in the last uh, 18 months, the one complaint I have not heard about NASCAR is qualifying. Oh, we need qualifying back. Yeah, funny enough, yeah. You're right. Because it's irrelevant mm -hmm. and nobody cares. Uh, it really, it's like, it's, it, it's fine. You know, uh, do what you like. 
uh, you're not bringing a single fan back by doing this, but you clearly need a qualifying uh, product. So uh, go ahead, have at it. What what they're missing, Dex, obviously, is that Phil Rouge. That's exactly. What, that's... With, yeah, tubes full of blue liquid. And Well, <laughs> if, if you could dress, if the top ten were dressed up as giant bears, yeah. uh, and or they penguins. all had to squeeze through a, a small gap on the front straight, yeah. Uh, I'd be happy with that. That would that would make it more like it's a knockout. Big red rotating turntable with people sliding down in penguin costumes. <laughs> that sounds here fun. Comes Kyle Bush. <laughs> or or they team up in pairs, and one of them one of them has to stand in front of a giant swinging pendulum pendulum with a blindfold on, while the other one shouts at them to go left or right. <laughs> yes. There's no oh, Belgians uh, in NASCAR. That's the problem. No, that's why I didn't see a Belgian. That's well, why I well, put you right. if any of the if any of the, the drivers from the NASCAR Europe series come over, and there are a lot of Belgians in that, then then we can say here come the Belgians. But otherwise, we absolutely cannot. Simon Hoff has literally, as I was saying it, just said the drivers need to be dressed as huge penguins. Well done, well done, Simon. Jay. You're now going to have to go off on YouTube. It's a knockout. Yeah, or just just, just on, on front yeah, as it was known without, in Europe. If, if you specifically search process. for uh, "it's a knockout penguins," you'll get the specific uh, game that uh, uh, has been referred to. We were referencing to, that. Uh, yeah. There. Uh, so that starts next year. Uh, let's move on. And uh, earlier this year, uh, Anthony Davidson announced that he was retiring. And following this show at ten o'clock tonight here on RS One, there's a special Tyler's Long One with Anthony Davidson. Here's a little teaser for you. I've been driving, competing since I was an eight-year-old kid. And, you know, it was intense stuff the whole way through, my karting career into, into motorsport. And, yeah, that's the thing people often forget, that it's, it's, not, just, it's not just when you're in single-seaters, that's when your career starts. You know, I'm from that generation where we were barely walking and then you're straight into a go-kart and racing each other and it's competition and you your dad is acting as team manager and there's lots of pressure there and the will from the adults wanting you to do better and better. And it's, it's intense stuff really. And um, I think it just takes its toll. And it's interesting watching my generation now getting to the age that I am and realizing well, it's been a long road. So welcome to the Radio Show Limited Christmas Grotto where... Christmas Eve is here. Hello, Eve. Hello. Uh, and ready. I love this music. It's great, isn't it? Yes. We know where we are. It helps keep the elves motivated. Does it keep the elves motivated? Yeah. Well, yeah, the, uh, the sacks are bulging uh, in the Christmas <laughs> grotto. And uh, what goodies are you suggesting to the collective for present ideas? Where do you want to start? Books. Books. Books, Books are good. And Evro Publishing specifically um, it's been a great year for, for books this year and the lovely people at Evro Publishing who's, uh, which is evropublishing.com you can buy direct from them have got a fabulous selection I particularly like obviously Mr Le Mans which is a, a now an award winning best motorsport book of the year and um, you can pre-order as well Matt Oxley's um, Valentino Rossi book what a tome that is going to be. Yeah, but there's plenty, you know, there's Sam Smith's Formula E book on there. There's all sorts. So it's fabulous. And we've spoken to quite a lot of their their authors this last 18 months, yep. actually, as these um, as these projects have come to fruition. I, I think, in some ways, this is a, a nice byproduct of people having a little bit more time. They've finished projects 
off. And as you say, automotive-wise and motorsport-wise, some great books this year. So that was everopublishing.com, and there is a direct uh, link to the shop from there. Yeah, and I'll, I'll paste everything on the collective. As notes, usual. So. Uh, Duke Video, not just for the Le Mans DVD, great Le Mans um, but for, for everything else that's on there. That's dukevideo.com. Um, and we've got a 20% discount this year um, with the code RLM2021, which um, Ben assures me is working. Right, good. Um, and you just put that in as you check out, do yeah, you? Yeah, that's on everything except things like jigsaws and gift vouchers and the F1 gift the box sets. But other than that, it's, it will cover everything. And is that on uh, downloads as well as real as, as far as I'm aware from, from Duke that covers everything excellent stuff lots of season reviews coming out and of course that Le Mans being a little bit later this year they've had to scramble to get together but they've managed to get it together hot off the press I, I believe it is it is done is it yeah alright RLM 2021 the discount code there number three calendars two mm. but I'm counting it as one as one item item okay. um, Drew Gibson tells me he still has some calendars left they are beautiful as ever that's drew-gibson.co.uk not cheap, but no, you get no. them as a calendar and then you could literally frame they every one of the prints. Yeah. And we know yeah. people who do that. Correct. Yeah. Um, and the next one's in a very good cause, which is the R Valley Flood Relief Fund. Um, and that comes from our friend at Frozen Speed. Yeah, Jochen. Jochen at Frozen Speed. That's frozenspeed.com. And all of the proceeds, not the profits, all of the proceeds from yeah. this calendar go to the Flood Relief Fund. For, for those that may have forgotten the area around the Nürburgring in the Eiffel it was particularly badly hit when Europe got hammered with the, the water floods and, and Jochen has been very instrumental in that it's got a lovely picture of Sabine Schmitz as well drifting an M5 ring taxi moving on because everybody needs to get their Christmas tree, their wreath, their candles and their wrapping paper and you can do it all in one place with lovely Rebecca Onslow Cole from Croft and Cole which is their they will deliver your beautiful Christmas tree in a box and everything all comes together with it. The they UK. do special packages for Christmas yeah. as well. That's croftandcole.com and remember when you're booking you're also helping a member of the motorsport community. Yeah, very Fact good. Two. Moving on. This is from Etsy actually but I'm sure there's probably other places you can get it which is a set of Murray Walker sayings mugs or quotes mugs which I just love. They were just really they were really funny. Bit um, you love. Yeah, they made me yeah. laugh. And then number six is another Murray Walker thing, but that's the book. This is Morris Hamilton's This is Morris book. Hamilton's book from all good booksellers. Um, and some rubbish ones as well. And <laughs> probably some rubbish ones as well, but never mind. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm told that's a really, really good read. I haven't read it yet, but... Um, that's do we have a publisher on that? Or? Uh, Morris is a great guy and knew Murray very, very well. This is, this is uh, I think, much anticipated, yeah. I would say, that book. Yeah. Number seven is our good friends at the ACO, who have a special Christmas motto. On the the SEO is Christmas Yes, Christmas Excellent. Which is boutique.lemon.org. There's some absolutely fabulous stuff on there. I, I do feel a bit like the um, the shopkeeper in the um, wedding list shop in Four Weddings and a Funeral. Lots of things for under £500. However, um, there are some things that for, are significantly less money than that. So oh, there are replica some, trophies. There are some, yeah, there are replica trophies. But, um, but I've resisted the urge to put those on the list. Um, but there is a fabulous set of espresso mugs, which I think I might have to might have to have and there's also a really cool duffel bag and a shopping bag as well so those are really good that's boutique.lemon.org um, forward slash blah 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 anyway I'll put it all in the collective okay. but if you go to the ACO site and just hit shop and then there's a little button that says Christmas that takes you into the Christmas grotto there are some cha-ching stuff on there but, but you, know, you can find your bargains and members ACO members get a discount next up ah oh yes Michel Vaillant 
Pike's Peak edition came out in October, and I th and I think that's a great present. What I can't find is is a copy of the physical book in English. The French edition is available as a paperback graphic novel. Yeah. Um, the UK edition, the English edition, as far as I can find, is a Kindle Cloud reader edition. But that's p that, but that means it can be read on any device. Doesn't have to be on the Kindle. Okay. Um, that's, that's the that's the latest uh, the latest story of France's greatest motor racing driver who has been around for decades and they've raced been at Le Mans. Out in the last year. They've been th they've been two or three in the last year. But but, but the latest one I was really Pikes excited Peak. to see is Pikes Very Peak. Good. I thought that was cool. Just before their hundredth anniversary next year. Indeed, Pikes that's Peak. right. Which hopefully will be there. Well, it'd be nice if we were there, wouldn't it? And next up, we have to put t we have to put t-shirts in. We have to put the the guys from Full Talk Gear in here. They've uh, been mega over this been. last couple of yeah, years. They they transitioned onto making PPE for frontline workers, both in uh, the US and uh, with their uh, other production facility in in Europe. We've got some great uh, designs from this year's Le Mans, and all the back catalogue is available. So the lockdown. Le Mans is in there, which uh, I know a lot of people liked, uh, and there's some smashing stuff. Andy Blackmore's worked his magic again. Yep. Uh, plus, of course, midweek motorsport, all the usual stuff, all of our usual mugs, uh, mugs etc. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. all of that. Yeah, yeah. super stuff. And the quality is lovely. We've got we've got a big box of the of the current T-shirts, and they're really nice. Uh, and the, the key thing about that is it's dead easy because on either Imza Radio. Dot com or RadioLamont.com you can uh, just fire it in direct they're all made to order so get your size right decide what you want in terms of the design and whether you're in the US or Europe we've got options to make them and and send them from there to keep those pesky postage costs down as the trail says correct Silverstone is once again doing its um, Sonne Lumiere, its light show at the track, Lap of Light it's called, and this year they've added uh, ice skating in the Formula One pit lane, which could go disastrously wrong or be fantastic. Oh. What happens if you disappear down... No. Anyway, that so... That has to be flat. It ha the, the, yeah. the pit lane has to, it be, has flat. to be flat. So that, that's, why, that's probably the only way it can do I can imagine a few unsafe releases, though. <laughs> Definitely. There's also there are also um, hospitality options. Oh, and really? There's all sorts of things. Yeah. There's pizza van and. and we, we went to the preview night last year and we really enjoyed it. And, it. and for me, not just the clever way they'd used the surroundings, uh, there were plenty of times when I had no clue which part of the circuit I was on because you'd gone through gaps in the fence and pop back out you were going the wrong way and it's pitch dark of course yeah, it was good. really good and well organized and this one's a trip around the world oh. so i don't know how they're manifested how that's manifesting itself but i assume it's sort of landmark so you go okay. through europe and you go through asia and mm -hmm. so that's quite exciting like that and that starts in a few days but it's on um silverstone.co.uk forward slash lap dash of dash lights it sold out last year yeah so, so if you're in the uk and you want to go and do it you can also uh, add on a trip to the Silverstone Experience and Museum with that and make a bit of an afternoon stroke evening of it. They've also got some catering options this year that yes. they've added that they yeah. didn't have last year. Correct. Moving on. Because they can. Yeah, yeah, of yeah, course they can now. Um, this, is, this, is a, this is a bit of a pricey option, but there's a reason for that, um, which is that it's a Jackie Stewart um, replica helmet, which you can have signed... By, um, Sir Jackie. By, by Sir Jackie, um, and the, uh, and the reason it's a bit expensive, it's a helmet, but it's it's also because a big chunk of the proceeds is going to Sir Jackie's Racing Against Dementia charity, 
Um, and that is on the motorsportmagazine.com website. And you can just go to it into their into their shop. And is that a straight purchase? Is that an auction? Is it a no it's a straight purchase? They've obviously produced a number of them. Right. Oh, and, brilliant. And so I've just d- dementia and Alzheimer's are are, are are awful diseases. And correct. And um, we've had some direct experience of, of that. And so um, I just I just wanted to put something in that was another another charity to be supported. And there's some decent stuff on the rest of the motorsport magazine site as well. But that yeah. that is a good one. To pull out, but, and, and Sir Jackie is being stoic um, with dealing with Lady Helen's uh, issues in that in that area, and we all support him and and the race racing against dementia. The last one on my list is pending some very exciting news, which is that Dan Dan the Sticker Man, um, stickers, stickers four, four stickers yeah. four dot com or stick it up for Le Mans yeah. dot com. If you go to the stick it up for Le Mans, you'll see that there's coming soon. Um, with the 24H logo, and so there, there will shortly be the option once again to oh. to buy 24-hour Le Mans stickers from right. that site. Right. They're not quite ready yet; they've they've just got to tidy up a few details. Mm-hmm. But that is coming. In the meantime, however, you can get your Christmas window stickers from there, right? Which are currently reduced and very lovely. Mm. And, ah. mu- and multiple use, so you need to buy them once and keep oh, using them. So and you, you can trim them to size. So well. you peel them off and then you can use them again the next year? Correct. So, you know, instead of spraying stuff on your windows, which is always a nightmare to get off, you can stick on your reindeer or your snowman or whatever, peel them off and use them again next yeah, year. Yeah, there's, there's a really nice town snow scene. That oh, it's like freeze. one of those paper cut ones that you do. Yeah. Um, that's multi- that looks like it's multi layered and it's fabulous. Nice with sort of buckly. So, Supporting Dan, um, whilst we're waiting for him to um, be able to get those up and running, there will be, I'm told, some, exci- some exciting new parts to that product range, including um, laptop stickers and things like that. Right, So, and that's stickers for... That's stickers4.com for the Christmas stuff, yeah. stickitupforlemon.com for everything else, and just keep an eye on that. And, and once but we hear, we'll, let you know. we'll tweet it out and make sure everybody knows that, that that's gone live. I dare say we might get a few previews in that and run a competition. Thank you, Eve. Uh, your sack's still bulging at the moment and looking forward to Christmas? Yes, of course, I'm looking forward to Christmas. Your favourite time of the year. And you can find all the details of Eve's Christmas presents on uh, the Radio Show Limited Listeners Collective on Facebook. Uh, now let's move on to some Formula One news. He was here I'm earlier. Still waiting. Nick? He is still here. No, I'm here, but I, 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 you have to. You didn't introduce me as the correspondent. Oh, a Formula One Let's correspondent on. Nick Damon was here earlier. He's still here. Formula One and news time, some. Nick. Hooray! See, we do it properly. It works really well. Hooray! Much harder for me to do that on a rotary. Yes, uh, than it is on a slider. <laughs> uh, now, German TV has asked Ralph Schumacher who he thinks is going to win the Formula One title, and he's really sitting on the fence. Why? What did really, he say, Fernando Alonso? Is it a single uh, pole fence by any chance? He said, <laughs> Max Verstappen doesn't stand a chance of beating Lewis Hamilton. Well, that's Ralph's opinion. In the opinion um, of Ralph, yeah. yes. Well, you know, there is there are there are two conflicting views, and the, what I would say I would say is that if you base 
all your opinions on the last two races, you would say that Lewis has a very good chance, even though he has to finish both the race, has to finish in front of him, has to have, uh, of Max not have any problems, not have any weird things happen. So it's still quite a big iffy. But everyone seems to conveniently forgotten the brief in, in the in the prior three races. Um, Max finished ahead of Lewis every single time. And, Ma- and Max doesn't have to score any more points if Lewis doesn't. So, you know, if they yeah. come together at the first corner in the last two races, Max is champion. Yeah, I'm not saying... Yeah, I mean, it's... it's I, I, everyone likes to make big sweeping prophecies. All I will say is that Lewis has a better chance than he had two weeks ago. But always the man in possession of the lead, especially when the lead is more than a win, which it is eight points... Oh, sorry, more than a win for second. Yeah, eight, yeah. eight points. Um is always the man who has the best, best advantage, unless Red Bull are saying their car's rubbish. If Which, I'm uh, just going to keep, are, I'm gonna keep saying this until, until you know, people understand this. If they both end up at the side of the track in the next two races, then Max wins the championship. Yes, we understand hmm? where you're going, John, but it yeah. won't happen, of course, because he'll be uh, disqualified and have points deducted if uh, that happens oh, oh sorry Do no you honestly not a that's chance gonna happen? not a chance absolutely I, I, not a chance i would say given how the uh, stewards have, have behaved in the last couple of weeks i, I i'm not saying they're favoring anybody but they certainly are trying not to get involved in the championship correct i'd agree with that that summation absolutely i would agree with that summation I, 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 it's not often that you and i uh, agree about it, we, we had a, a, a pretty robust discussion, uh, Nick and I, because obviously I didn't watch the Grand Prix, but I was watching the what was going on around it, and Nick, Tim, and I had a pretty robust discussion. And considering what I said last week about, I thought the the principals were getting a bit feisty and probably going too far. It went way too far. Should we oh, talk yeah, about the world's biggest detail? Went too far. The world's biggest U-turn. Come on, then. Sunday morning. They've got to have control of their marshals. It's as simple as that. You can't... Uh, you've got to have grown-ups making grown-up decisions. Just having a binary somebody sticking out a yellow flag, it's just frustrating. The race director should have control of the circuit. He's the referee. And otherwise, anybody... You get a marshal that starts to stick a yellow flag out. How does that work? The it FIA has he... noted the comments of Christian Horner. Hmm. <laughs> It works. Can I? Can I just? Sorry, on, sorry, sorry, I know you, I know you I'd like a, to make a, it clear a, a, a that now, okay, post race, I'd like to make it clear. Yeah. Marshals do a wonderful, wonderful job. They do a great <laughs> job. My frustration, what I voiced earlier, wasn't at Marshals, and uh, so if any offence was taken by any Marshals, then obviously I apologise for that. Marshals are um, wonderful. Really? If any offence was taken, see, that's a non-apology <sighs> apology. Again, look. I mean, sorry, you go first, John. I don't even know where to start about this. What I've found out over over the last few days is how few people know, uh, how few people within the sport know exactly what marshals do and how marshalling works. I'm I'm very honoured to be an ambassador for the British Motor Racing Marshals Club, and um, I go out of my way to try and talk to the ladies and gentlemen on the side of the track and try and make their lives a little bit easier. Um, whether I'm commentating or when I'm, when I'm racing, I'm probably making their lives harder because you know that's what I, that's what I, happens. But they they give their time up because that's what they want to do. They are professionals in everything about uh, except being paid. And the 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 primary the primary point of a marshal 
having independence is because they have to be able to react to something. If comms go down, if CCTV goes down, if they they can't be contacted by race control, if the automatic systems aren't working, a marshal still has to look after the safety of the people on the track. And that's why they have to be independent and do what they do. And what they do is only for safety's sake. And if Christian Horner or any other driver doesn't understand that, they're in the wrong sport. Simply as that. And I, I'm, I'm not going to take that back. And I don't care if that offends Christian Horner because he deserves to be offended by what he said. And if he doesn't understand that, he needs to go somewhere else, as does anybody else who thinks that what he said was anywhere near acceptable. He's lucky to get away with a reprimand, in my mind, Nick. And mm. what what Can now he, happens, yeah, I, I don't know even where we go from this point. I said last week that I thought it was getting out of hand. I wasn't, I wasn't overly excited about Toto swearing on the radio and all of that stuff. But there you go. Look, the thing is, and, and I have sympathy with Max, and it goes back to what I said a few minutes ago about the FI being desperate not to interfere with the championship. Pierre Gasly took off his wing, his, his own wing over a curb and punched a tyre and was crawling down the last couple of corners at no miles an hour. That is a yellow flag. doesn't matter. That's a yellow flag. A car is moving slowly... Be it on the racing line, not the racing line. No, you know, let's be honest. If you, if you go wide at the final corner, you could spear across and hit it. It is a yellow flag situation. However, because the FI was desperate to make sure that Max got his second, his second time lapping, they started playing mm, yeah, the coach with the flags and the lights. In, out, in, out, in, out. And yeah, because very there point, is Nick. no excuse for that not being a yellow flag. So actually, the inverted commas rogue marshal was the only person correcting that procedure. Agreed. The rest were, were holding to ridiculous concepts by Massey and the FIA. Hence the reason, given the fact that... I actually think that Max was, uh, was unlucky. But, uh, but, you know, I know we're getting music played, but I have more yeah. to say. And... The, you know, and but the, the Oscars. The, what uh, Horner said was unforgivable. Totally correct. It's a uh, second batch of nominations for the show of the year, and this time uh, Nick, Shay, Johnny, and John are going to tell you who they've chosen for Rally Driver of the Year, Rider of the Year, and Race of the Year. My Rider of the Year is a champion uh, in one of the Moto categories this year. And he's a champion who's won it in his rookie season. Uh, and that is Pedro Acosta, who uh, won Moto3. He, apart from the last round of the season, never got a pole position. He won from everywhere on the grid, near the front, in the middle, uh, near the back, and indeed from the pit lane in one particularly memorable uh, run to the chequered flag. He has proved himself to be, at least at this stage in his career, one of these once-in-a-lifetime riders. And the fact that he's done it in his rookie season is something close to extraordinary. So, Pedro Acosta is my motorcycle rider of the year. Only last weekend in Barcelona, this Spaniard managed to win his 30th consecutive title, 15 in the FIM Trial World Championship and 15 
in a row in the X Trial World Championship, the man known as Tony Bow. Dylan Fernandez. It's not a name that a lot of people might know, but he is the AMA 450cc champion this year after stepping up from winning the 250 championship last year. Uh, Mind of the year is the MotoGP world champion Fabio Quattararo, the man who put together an absolutely stellar championship, which no one else seemed to be able to do. Yes, they could win individual races, but the only person who could put together a proper championship was young Fabio. My race of the year is, well, it could have been the whole series of the Edemitsu Mazda MX-5 on the IMSA package, but I'm going to go back to, to earlier in the season. And the first race at Sebring. This one we had the Lightning McQueen tongue out finish. 0. 0.001 of a second. It actually could not have been any closer as far as the timing is concerned. Uh, and it was the Hickson racing car, Celine Roland, who came through the middle of his two, what were going to be championship rivals for the whole year. Sebring race one, Edemitsu Mazda MX-5. If you haven't seen it, go and check it out on the IMSA YouTube official site. My race of the year is a Hungarian Grand Prix. It had everything. It had rain, it had drama, it had pit mistakes, and it had unexpected winner. It then it also had a fantastic battle, Titanic battle between two, uh, one former world champion and the current world champion. Uh, everything played out. Oh, okay. They had Max Verstappen coming back from, from being skittled off in the first corner with a damaged car to get some points. Had absolutely everything with Esteban Ocon taking his maiden win as well. On this one, I cheat a little bit. My race of the year was race weekend of the year, Long Beach Grand Prix. The IMSA race and the IndyCar race, both clear declarations of what's to come next year. I'm excited about both. Just a couple of weekends ago, the Brazilian Grand Prix, and I'm going to say Grand Prix weekend because I'm going to lump in the sprint qualifying race as well. But uh, as a combined effort, Lewis Hamilton from the back of the field, or as he made the point, actually, 25 places, uh, gained in two days to eventually win on Sunday. Rally driver of the year is Elvin Evans. He did not dethrone the king this year, but he is very clearly the heir apparent. Can't wait to see what he does. I've gone to the support category in the World Championship, so rally two, and uh, I think a first title at this level. Admittedly, he's dropped back from World, World Rally Championship uh, and the top tier, but Andreas Mikkelsen is the title winner in 2021, and he's my nomination realistically, I don't think I can actually vote for a rally driver because I don't care. My rally driver of the year, uh, this was a tough one in in some respects, but ultimately, I suppose it it isn't. And it's probably not going to be a surprise that I have nominated Sebastian Augier. The, The reason I've picked him in particular is that because of the vagaries of how World Rally works, if you're at the top of the championship, and Seb was for pretty much all the season then you start first on the road and on gravel rallies which the start of the season was peppered with that is a real disadvantage because effectively you're sweeping the racing line and I've kind of given this to Augier for his Friday driving in those first half of the season rallies because somehow he managed to keep himself in contention on the Friday when it should have been a disadvantage for him to be at the front of the field. Midweek Motorsport. And don't you dare switch off now, because the next hour's going to be even better. Shall I tell me, Mike? Oh, yes. And in the next hour, we will have more of your tweets, please, at Specutainment. Ooh, lots of uh, lots of chat about Christian Horner and the non-apology apology and lots of marshals in as well 
you, ladies and gentlemen, do a great job. That's all I'm going to say. You know you've got our respect and our support. Uh, coming up, we have more of the nominations. Uh, we will have Formula One team by team. We'll have a bit of sports car news in the Visit Cayman Island sports car roundup. We'll have Shea Adam back for that. But next, a bit of look at a fair wind. We'll be talking to the man at the head of BMW Motorsport. On RadioLeMond.com. Well, delighted to say that joining us now on Midweek Motorsport, the head of BMW M Motorsport, is Mike Crack. Mike, thank you for joining us and taking some time out. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, John. Hello. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, looking forward to talk to you. I, I introduced you as BMW M Motorsport um, in, in terms of your, your title. That's quite a new thing, BMW M and BMW Motorsport. They've always been closely linked, but now pretty much together. Yes. Um, if, you, uh, if you go back a bit in history, uh, back in the founding days, uh, 1972, basically 50 years we will have next year, by the way, uh, 50 years anniversary. So uh, BMW Motorsport and M was starting one company. It was BMW M uh, starting in 72. And basically, beginning of this year, these two uh, entities were brought back together. So BMW Motorsport and BMW M uh, were brought back together with BMW Motorsport being integrated into M. It makes perfect sense, of course, because what you learn on the track transfers to the M products in the road and, and street street cars. And, of course, as you say, that's exactly where it, where it came back from. It's an exciting time, not just because of that, Mike, but because of, of what's changing in BMW and the transition to the i products with the road cars of course the full ev machines but also in motorsport there's a big changeover of of direction as well with the the end of the factory dtm project and the end of formula e how are you how are you uh, coping with with all of these changes as you've only been imposed in in real terms a relatively short time well, um, when you are in racing for so many years, you, you have always to be to be able to adapt to change. Um, so here, uh, you, know, you know, on the racetrack, you have a, a rule change or conditions change. Now here we have a strategic change uh, taken by the company, and uh, it's something that you, you have to uh, to accommodate with. Um, I think at the end of the day, if you look at the projects that we are are, are working on at the moment, um, it's 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 uh, we are we are very very busy about it. Um, we had um, with the DTM, which which was at the end, you know, a two manufacturer championship, yeah. and uh, which was actually not a very sustainable uh, uh, setup. Uh, plus the exit of Formula E, um, we have a bit more people available, uh, and with the new projects, so uh, it's it's it's. Uh, I think you know. You say, uh, how are you coping with it? I, I would say it's it's it has been quite smooth the transition from these into new projects. Let's talk about some of those projects. We saw the fruit of you and uh, your and your team's labour firsthand. Uh, we've seen it a couple of times now in the NLS. Uh, slightly delayed uh, debut of the new BMW M4, M4 GT4, but at the weekend uh, over at Sebring, a 24-hour 
24 hours round Sebring. I, 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 I've taken my hat off to the guys at Creventic for even thinking that up to the teams for being there. Um, some issues about the, the guys getting over there, but the race happened and, and your car got to the end, not without uh, some some issues, but not issues, I think, that were, were caused by the car, by other competitors. And, and why was the choice made, Mike, to do the Nürburgring, the NLS, and and something as as public as a 24-hour race at, at Sebring to literally, in that case, shake down the new car in in competitive rather than doing uh, doing private testing. Well, there is uh, the, you, you know, John, you can you can run Sebring or you can run also the Nürburgring, but there is nothing such as as uh, as close to reality as racing. I mean, the customers they will they will be racing and. Uh, um, you have all these running in traffic, you have contact, you have marbles, offline running or running in tow, which you cannot, which, you know, for all the money that you can spend by renting these tracks, you, you will never, you will never experience. And I think, yes, there is a risk when you, when you do this in public, yeah, you expose yourself and uh, this is always, this is always there. On the other hand, uh, I think you can have a much better product because you, you really uh, test your product in real world conditions. So yes, ambitious or maybe brave, but on the other hand, uh, very, very effective when it comes to, I mean, you, you've mentioned it now with, uh, with the Sebring incidents. Yeah, there was, there, there was some incidents and you see also where, uh, when the car is being touched, where um, maybe you need to reinforce it, mm. yeah, which when you test alone, you will never see. And do you feel then that that was worthwhile now? Obviously, we're only a short amount of time after the end of the race, but that the contact with uh, with the car collection uh, Audi at, uh, down at turn seven, uh, that, that caused some damage at the back. Do you learn something from that? Because that clearly is something that could happen when you go racing uh, full time in, in 2022. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We will have to see exactly what uh, what was damaged, how, and if there is a possibility to make it better, uh, we told the drivers to try and avoid any kind of uh, contact, though, because <laughs> uh, with all these logistic problems, I have to say we didn't have a, a huge amount of spare parts uh, available anyway. So we were a bit nervous about the whole thing because of this logistic situation with Preventic. Uh, and uh, obviously, we also informed our drivers to, to really stay out of trouble. But... Uh, if you want to go in a 24-hour race, you know, staying out of trouble is always a wish. True. Uh, it's not always possible, but uh, in this case here, it, it meant that we have to go back into the garage. Uh, it, it was not a drama because, you know, if you do not go for overall classification when you do something like that. Uh, you'd True. rather try to identify uh, issues or weaknesses. And, uh, for example, also what you can always plan, for example, is that you go... Uh, uh, behind the wall and you do a big change yeah, mm. or you change brakes or you do some brake tests where in the normal race conditions you, you, you would try to do quick brake changes with the spec that you know and go but here we use these opportunities as well obviously. Um, it was great to see the car out there. It looked fantastic. Uh, very nice to see the uh, American drivers in there. Uh, also nice to see that it wasn't an all full pro lineup is it important that you get feedback from people who are likely to be your customers mike um yes um there there are two aspects here uh, or maybe even three so first of all you have the creventic rules which uh, mandate uh, a certain amount of driver categorization when you want to participate that was one point 
The second point is when we drive in the US, uh, I, you know, we have so many customers in the US and so many uh, enthusiastic uh, people about BMW M that we felt, you know, we have to involve our American partners in, in this adventure. Um, and then the third point, I don't remember now anymore, John, what I wanted to say. Uh, um, but it, it, we, we felt it was very important that we have, uh, we have a, a very good mix between people that know the car already, drivers that know the car, like our juniors, yeah, and uh, bringing in the uh, people like, like Robbie or, or Bill, who, who, uh, who have driven the M6 with great success in IMSA for many years now. And then uh, uh, we brought also James in from Bimmer World, yeah, which is a long-time customer, uh, and I think it was... Uh, it was for us a certain sign of appreciation of our, of our people that, that, that buy these products. Yeah, James Clear, yes, absolutely. Uh, we'll stick with the, the GT3 for the moment. Um, obviously, we all know that, that there's been a, a little bit of, um, shall I say, controversy, but certainly discussion, plenty of discussion, about the styling of, of new BMW products on the road, and that transfers to the, 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 the race car, race car uh, as well. What I think we can't deny, and we said this in, in the broadcast at the weekend, man, that thing looks purposeful, mean. It looks fast when it's standing still, almost intimidating, Mike. Seeing that coming up behind you, um, you certainly know that it's a BMW coming up behind you. Is that, is that something that you guys look at and say, on a, on a serious note, you, you guys have to make a race car out of, out of a street car for, for GT for GT3. Um, when you look at that, is there, is there much crossover between the design team um, of the original road car and, and M and Motorsport saying, oh, guys, we have got to make a race car out of this at some stage down the line? Yes, there is. Uh, we have uh, the, we we have some people who uh, who are responsible or who who are linked to both design design uh, of of road cars and also the say main design language of the of the brand. So um, you have probably seen the first sketches of the of the LMDH car. So uh, it 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 goes along the same line, you know, being uh, being quite aggressive, you know, being. You have to, you know, people talk about it, and this is the most important at the end of the day. Uh, you, if you see the, if you see these big kidneys, or if you see this car coming, you, you immediately know what it is. Mm. Um, and uh, I think by by doing that, uh, the purpose is fulfilled, isn't it? <laughs> Well, you've got everybody talking. You and your colleagues in the road car division have got everybody talking about it. it, it you know, some, some people will say it's good, some people will say it's bad, but there's very few people who don't have an opinion on it, Mike. And, and let's be honest, it's better. You know what they say, there's only one thing worse than being talked about, it's not being talked about. So, exactly. you know, so, so in our game, we, we understand that. We absolutely understand that. Final question on the, on the GT side of things, before we move on to LMDH, which you, you did mention there. Um, you've, you've brought out this new car to, to GT3. It'll make its its full competition debut next year in the hands of your teams. Um, we know that there's going to be one in GTD Pro, which is a very exciting, uh, a very exciting development from from IMSA. But GT3 regulations are about to change. We've got a new set of FIA and ACO-derived regulations that are coming in in just a relatively short period of time. Was there, was there any 
thought that you might wait for those new regulations to be enacted before bringing the new car out? Because effectively, you've got a car now with a, a limited life, or have you incorporated some of the things you expect in the new regulations into the into this current car? Um, I mean, the car is built to 2022 Rex, so it's the first car that has been built to these new regulations, John. Mm. <coughs> Pardon me. So, uh, yes, we, we, we had these all of this on the radar. Uh, to be honest, it was not really a strategic choice to build the car for 22 to the new Rex. It was more, uh, it, it came together. You know, the M6 was at the end of its life. Um, I think with a two times three year cycle. So uh, it was the logical next step at the end of the day. And are you, you comfortable with the way the different series around the world are heading? GT3 has, has just been a, an extraordinary success. Stefan Rattel and the SRO organisation have, have pushed it to every corner of the earth. And there's pretty much a GT3 race every weekend and two or three some weekends. And some of the really big events like Bathurst and uh, Spa 24 and then... With, with classes in IMSA and again this, this GTD Pro are you happy with the way that it's looking going forward in terms for you as BMW and I suppose more importantly in GT3 for your customers yeah I think you know it's not about us at the end of the day then <clears throat> this is about the customers because as you said you know what Stefan has has, has done and achieved is, is just incredible uh, to, to have GT3 in, in all corners of the world and I think we need to be careful not to not to make the mistakes that we have done, you know, in, in previous times by mm. having too much manufacturer involvement. So um, I think, you know, uh, when you see what IMSA have done, uh, like with, with a small a small GTD Pro category or a, a category that is really dedicated for more factory supported teams, it helps to have GTD really as customers, yeah, yeah as a customer category. So... Um, I think uh, uh, we we need to we need to be careful to keep the whole thing sustainable, keep the costs down, and uh, try to limit manufacturer involvement when it comes to GT3. Because otherwise, I, I, the risk is that costs will escalate, uh, and then we will have uh, similar situations as we had with maybe Class One or as we had with with, with GT1 at the time. Well, exactly what I was going to say, and with with GT3 potentially going to Le Mans in a few years' time, is there not a danger, though, that manufacturers will see Le Mans and say, right, OK, if we're going to win GT at Le Mans, we've got to build something special. And all of a sudden, we're back to 1997, 98, 99, and, and it's an arms race between the manufacturers. Yeah, I, I think this is what ECO wants to, wants to avoid, no? Um, I think for 2024, they wanted to have like uh, more a pro-M uh, orientated uh, GT3 category in Le Mans. Mm. Now, how the, how the reality will look like, uh, it will be difficult to say. But I think that the the, the mission is clear that factory manufacturers should go into LMDH, and um, and the GT3 category should be more open for the customers. Which brings us beautifully. Thank you very much. You you could have my job, Mike. That's brilliant. You brought us perfectly round to LMDH. That was a bridge, yeah. That, very good. Very good link. Um, you you guys um, announced uh, that you are going to go in um, to LMDH, partnered with Delara for the chassis as per per the regulations. Uh, you weren't the first, but you weren't the last. 
What was the thought process for, for BMW to look at this and say, right, this is the right time now to come back to top-level prototype racing? We've missed you, by the way, because you always build beautiful cars. The V12 LMR is still one of my very, very favourites. But, but what was the thought process and why is now the right time for BMW to come back to top-level global prototype racing? Um, <clears throat> as you can imagine, in a big company like this one, uh, the, these decisions are not easy made, easily made. Uh, so what, what we uh, did uh, in very, very early stages um, was theoretical studies uh, about uh, the new category. We were always involved with DPI 2.0, with IMSA. Uh, we were on the discuss discussing table. So the whole thing already dates back to uh, a bit longer. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so... Um, when it became a bit more, say, uh, uh, re real, uh, we had this, uh, this situation about reorganization in our company. We had the uh, dropping out of Formula E and uh, DTM. And uh, the question was, you know, will there be still some factory racing at BMW or not? Mm. And uh, our, our CEO at the time, Markus, Markus Flasch, um, um, he was convinced uh, that this is the thing that we will have to do. And uh, he was very convincing and managed to, to have this project approved, um, which for us is great. Um, but I have to say also we are very, very humble because uh, you said it before, the LMR, you liked it, but uh, we must not forget it's 25 years ago. Mm. And we do not really have a lot of sports car uh, experience in the company. We have a lot of touring car experience. We did not too bad in Formula E, uh, Class 1. Uh, we had highs and downs and lows. But at the end of the day, a, um, a sports car or a prototype, the way it is uh, like an LMP2 or LMP1, we do not have so much experience. So we have huge respect we, when we look at the timeline, when we look at the competition and try to, yeah, to approach this uh, in the best possible way at the end of the day. Given the current... Uh regulations with DPI 2.0 which is effectively what very close to, to what LMDH is and using a proprietary chassis from one of the LMP2s that's a shortcut there for you that's something that BMW doesn't have to develop you don't have to have the skills to build a prototype chassis you can concentrate on the aero, the engine, and goodness me, we know that you guys have built great engines forever and and today. I raced an old Chevron at, at Silverstone earlier this year with one of your two-litre four-cylinder engines in, and you, you guys know engines. So was that? Did that in some ways make make the taking on of this project, Mike, just a little bit easier and a little bit more sensible in some respects? I, I think so because at the end of the day, I think with that timeline, we would not have managed. Yeah. Yeah. If if we would have to if we would have to do the chassis ourselves, without the co-design, uh, without having these regulations about uh, constructor partners, I think we couldn't have kept the timeline. Yeah. Very simply. Uh, and how is it going? I don't expect any secrets. Um, you can tease us if you like. That's fine. The listeners will will love that. You've you've brought over some people from Formula E and from DTM. I think it's Maurizio Lachita, isn't it? Who's who's heading up the the program. Um, so you're using that that spare capacity. The car's got to be on track. Um, well, it, it's got to be racing in just over a year's time in 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 Daytona. So you guys have got to be somewhere down the road. Yeah, um, 
I think uh, I have to say the, the the collaboration with with Talara is fantastic. Um, you know, normally when you start a new collaboration, um, there is always a little bit of friction. There is, you know, until you find yourself. And with Talara, uh, for whatever reason, we never had that. We didn't have it from day one. Uh, is this due to the people? Is this due to the regulations being also clearly uh, formulated? Who is responsible for what? But we, we clearly, we, we found a very, very good um, dialogue with Alara from day one. And this, uh, this has helped us a lot, you know, keeping the time scale. Um, the engine is making progress. The hybrid system is making progress. Uh, here we are part of, of, of the group of all the LMDH manufacturers. And um, I would not say that we have months in spare, <laughs> but... Uh, um, we are we are not panicking at the moment. Yeah, we have our our uh, our um, first on track target being middle middle of the year, um, and then at one point we move the car to the US. I think IMSA is also doing quite a lot of effort to bring some common testing uh, possibilities uh, in because, uh, as you might know, US tracks to to book US tracks is normally also not that easy. Yeah. Um, so uh, here, uh, I think that it's it's the way it is developing is, is more like a let's do this together rather than everybody doing his own thing. Um, yeah. So from that point of view, uh, I think it works. It works uh, or it goes on well. Uh, as said, we have not huge margins. You talk about that collaborative approach, the collegiate approach in some respects. Yeah. One of the things about this category is that you could, you can have, and in your case, you do have um, another manufacturer who's going to be your competitor using the same base spine, the same base chassis. That that's GM who, who are also involved in Delara. D- does that help? Does it hinder? Does it make Delara's life more difficult? Are they working on yours in one side of the factory and and the Cadillac on the other? How does that work, Mike? Well, you know, Dalara, they are super professional. Um, they, they, they have, uh, they have to work with different manufacturers for years already. Mm. Uh, this is not new for them. So they know exactly how they have to separate this. Um, obviously, the detail of how they do that, you would have to ask Dalara. This, I, this I cannot say. But um, we have, uh, I have to say, you know, they, they treat these things very confidentially, and uh, I am sure there is, uh, from time to time different requests you know that <laughs> come from us compared to what comes from 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 the other uh, customers or from the other manufacturer but Dalara makes wise decisions um, and from that point of view I'm I'm not really concerned uh, I think in the worst case uh, I think I would have I would I would ring Laura uh, and then uh, maybe speak to her about if there is something <laughs> that clearly leads us in in the wrong direction but so far, it didn't happen, and I think it's also not necessary because the Lara, they're really bright people, and they can handle this well. That's Lara Klauser, Wontrup, yeah. who's, who's head of head of the program for for GM GM Racing, uh, and it's nice that you can say that, and uh, and I know exactly what you mean because that comes back to that that competitors on the track but collegiate to make all this this work, and that's why we've got this this global coming coming together a couple of final questions mike and thank you again for your for your time here on on midweek more maybe, maybe let me let me add on this john okay I, sure. i'm really happy the way the way this thing is developing uh, that all the manufacturers the promoters the racetracks the, the the supply chain plus the media 
we have all realized that we need these products, yeah? yeah, and that yes. we, we must we must stay competitors on the track. But everything that goes around it, we have we have all realized that if we want to keep this sustainable for the future, we have to work together. And uh, I think there is a change of mind happening in the last few years, which I'm very happy about. Yeah, so uh, I, I, that's what makes us probably survive that we finally work together. Well, and uh, I, I totally agree. When when I was given the great honour of standing up with Sabring a couple of years ago and hosting the announcement, I honestly never thought I'd say that in my lifetime, Mike. If I'm if I'm being honest, and you know how much a fan I am of of top level sports car racing, to to know that the ACO and IMSA. We're coming together and planning for the future. Um, I, I thought it was extraordinary. I, I really yeah. didn't didn't see that at all, and and that has been reflected, as you rightly say. And I think it's a very good point to make uh, that that. The manufacturers have realised that as well. And let's go and fight it out on the track, but let's be sensible to keep it going so we can go and fight it out on the track. Yes, that's a very, that's a very, good, that's a very good point. So uh, a couple of final questions about LMDH. It, it's at least at, at the beginning, it's a factory programme only. So I, I'm sure you've had people ringing you up, Mike, and saying, come on, I want to buy one of these cars. But for, for what, the first couple of seasons at least, or have you not put a time, time limit on it? But it, it's going to be a factory programme, correct? Yeah, we start as a factory programme in 23. Uh, there will be only the two cars in the US. Um, and then after that, uh, we, 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 had to, you know, we had to prioritize it because uh, we, we are not that many as, might, as you might believe. Yeah? We are not that many and we have also not buckets full of money to do this. So um, we said at one point, you know, to do this properly, we need to focus and do only one thing. Yeah? So that's why we decided to start like that. Um, it is true what you were saying that uh, there, there has been people contacting us um, interested to to run the cars, interested to run the cars also as customers. And unfortunately, we had to turn them down for 23 because uh, we do not want to, 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 to get distracted too much. Right. So uh, after 23, we will have to see how, how, we will have to see how 23 goes. Yeah. But, um, and then we have to see how we set it up. Uh, if we do customer cars uh, uh, on both sides of the Atlantic or uh, how, how this is developing in, in general as, 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 uh, as a category. You said just in the US to start with, and that's something that a number of people have picked up on, because clearly one of the points of LMDH and the integration with LMH from the ACO is Mm -hmm. that you could go, this car could go and race at Le Mans, it could go and race in the World Endurance Championship. I'm sure you'll tell me that's on on your radar, but to start with, it's it's USA. That's that is the the the, the laser focus, is it, Mike? Yes, yes, it's the focus because also what you must not forget, you know, M, the biggest market for M is in the U.S. Right. Yeah, we have a long history in the U.S., and I think it was very logical to do to to, to make this choice. Um, so for us, you know, we did not have to discuss this for very long. Um, <laughs> Now, obviously, if 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 you have more uh, more possibilities, you you can also uh, take the approach that some others are taking. But um, we 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 want you know we want not to to 
yeah, I, I was a bit afraid that when we try to do too many things in, uh, when, when we start this, you know, we have already this super tight time scale. We have announced this as late, later than others. You know, I, I think if we try to, to be too bright, you know, we will just, we will just uh, fail. Mm. So uh, that's why we decided we do only one thing first and then uh, afterwards we see how, how it develops because uh, the, the risk of, of, of getting distracted with too many things was too high. Well, I know what an enthusiast you are for sports car and endurance racing. So I know, the, I think I know the answer to this question. I'm going to ask you, as an individual, never mind in your job as head of BMW M Motorsport, but as an individual, are you excited about the way that sports car and endurance racing is going at the moment? You know the answer, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see, Mike. I can. He's smiling. His face just lit up when I said, "It's an exciting few years, Mike, isn't it?" I, I mean, it, are we going? This is this is in some way is a is a question that it's impossible to know right now. But do you feel like we're going into another golden era of sports car racing? I think we do. We just need to be very careful, uh, but I think this collaborative uh, effort that I mentioned before will probably lead us the right way. Mm. Um, it must stay sustainable in terms of cost. You know, manufacturers are not be are not uh, ready anymore to make so so big uh, expenses. Um, but if we are careful um, by spending where it makes sense and not spending where it makes no sense, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I think, you know, I mean, I remember, you know, as, as a child, the group C, group C times, you know, when customers were racing against uh, factory Porsches or, or this, this area, you will remember it. Uh, they were great. And if we could have something similar back mm. uh, with, say, a grid of, of 15 uh, top class prototype or even more, uh, it would be fantastic, isn't it? Oh, don't, don't. Mike, we've taken up far too much of your time, but it's been an absolute pleasure. We could fill several programmes talking to you. First of all, congratulations on what you've already delivered in the development of the new M4 GT4. Good luck with the ongoing process of LMDH. We're very excited to see that car out on the track. And we're all looking forward to the 50th anniversary celebrations of M. I feel somewhere in there there's got to be um, a radio programme uh, with us where we go back into your heritage fleet and pick out some of the some of the classic M cars from from down through the years. I'm looking forward to see what uh, what you have in store for us next year for that major anniversary. Uh, Mike, thank you very much indeed. That was Mike Crack, head of BMW M Motorsport. Mike, thanks for being on Midweek Motorsport. Good luck to you, sir. Thank you, thank you, John. Happy to speak to you. Bye. <laughs> Uh, time for us to reveal the nominees in the final three categories, which are Car of the Year, Young Driver of the Year and Driver of the Year. Let's hear what our panel had to say about those. My car of the year is simple, the Mazda DPI. It finished all major North American endurance races on the podium, winning two of them, Watkins Glen and Petit Le Mans, six out of ten rounds this year with the trophy. The Toyota GRO10 Hybrid, brand new for season 2021. Competition for it in the World Endurance Championship, but it did go on to win every single race of the year. And that's the first time that's ever been done. 
in World Endurance Championship history. So I don't think that can be overlooked as an achievement. They also finished 1-2 at Le Mans. My car of the year comes from a championship that is changing regulations next year. And therefore, this year was the swan song of all of the manufacturers. And it's not Formula One. It's World Rally Championship. The 2021 Toyota Yaris WRC had loads more aero for this season of racing. And even on rallies that really did suit it, it was a great weapon. And potentially, I suppose, we will now look at that and say that was the ultimate iteration of the WRC car for that regulation set. Toyota Yaris WRC, my car of the year. My car of the year doesn't exist <laughs> in reality. No, I'm, I'm voting for the car because it's difficult because we know that what the outcome of F1 is and car schmar. So I'm racing for the well, voting for the iRacing Delara P217. Firstly, because it's given me loads of fun all year, but also it's given us a lot of interest in the VCO series we've covered and, of course, also the, um, the IMSA uh, Super Series we covered earlier in the year. So a car that doesn't exist, the Delara P217, is my vote for car of the year. My young driver or rider of the year uh, i refer the uh, honorable ladies and gentlemen back to my motorcycle rider of the year everything that i said then about pedro acosta goes double for the fact that he is so young he's got a huge future ahead of him next season he moves up into moto 2 and he will still be young enough to be able to be considered for the young driver rider award pedro acosta makes me feel very old, but also makes me feel very excited for the future of motorcycle. Didn't really get the results that his drives uh, warranted, but he was uh, the silver-rated driver in car 26 in the ELMS for G-Drive Racing from Argentina, Franco Colapinto. It's been a little while since a Team USA graduate has won the Walter Hayes Trophy, but this year, Max Esterson did that. And being born October 9th, 2002, he fits the profile perfectly. Uh, young Dothery is, is the man who, if it wasn't for Chinese cash, would be in Formula 1 next year. That's Theo Porcher. Um, straight up from Formula 3, showing great form in F2. Sauber will be promoting him to their test driver next year. He gets some F1 test sessions, but certainly his career is going in all the right directions. My driver of the year was another one that I agonised over. I looked at the sports cars paddock down through the season, both in ACO racing, in SRO racing, in IMSA racing. But then I literally woke up in the middle of the night and thought, why didn't I think of this fella? His substantive work behind the wheel of a Repco Aussie V8 supercar for Red Bull Racing has been outstanding. But he's translated all of his skills into the virtual world as well. Put himself on the line by competing on often the other side of the world from the rest of the people who he is in the online races with. And so I'm nominating Shane van Giesbergen. This one was tricky because we've seen so many good performances from drivers all across the racing spectrum. But this year, Lawrence Vantor was on another level. He raced in GTD for the first time. And the only time all year he was outside of the top 10 in GTD drivers, as far as a fast lap was concerned, was Daytona. When we had more than 60 drivers competing in that category, he averaged just over a quarter of a second off the fastest lap time 
finished first or second in the last five races, earned first or second place points in GTD qualifying five times, and accrued 284 points for the team. He is a big contributing factor as to why FAF Motorsports won the GTD championship this year. It's taken him a long, long time to become a Le Mans winner. Many said he deserved it a number of years before he actually finally achieved it in 2021 and a world title to boot as well. So it is Mike Conway who was uh, outstanding not only during the qualifying sessions that he was put in for, but also particularly opening stints in six and uh, eight hour races. Uh, Mike Conway um, cannot be overlooked for me because he's deserved this for a number of years and finally gets there. This is a difficult one because again, we haven't reached the end of the F1 season. Normally I'd feel honor bound to give it to whoever won, but this year I kind of feel, I don't think Lewis has been as good, certainly the first half of the season. I don't think Lewis was as good as he has been previously. And Max, I just can't vote for a man who doesn't understand the concept of giving someone racing room. So I'm going to vote for the person who I think has, um, well, we performed exceptionally well, beaten a complete destroyed a teammate everyone thought was really good, almost won a race, and would have about a last shower, and at the same time been a great person to be around. That's Lando Norris. <laughs> So you've heard the nominations. Now I'll tell you how it's all going to work. Uh, Voting for those nine categories will open next week uh, during Midweek Motorsports. That's uh, Wednesday the... No. Yeah, Wednesday the 1st of December, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes. Uh, And it will remain open until uh, midnight the following Tuesday. We will then reveal the results in our show of the year show, which is on Wednesday the 8th of November. Are we going to have a a listener's award this year? It's funny you should ask that because (laughs) the listener's award uh, requires the listeners to choose who gets nominated. And if you think we have made a glaring omission in the uh, drivers, cars, uh, riders, uh, circuits and races that have been nominated so far, this is your chance to put that right. You just need to uh, tweet us uh, at Specutainment using the hashtag S-O-T-Y S-O-T-Y-L-A Listener Award. So ah, Tyler. very good. So Tyler, yeah. Uh, so hashtag S-O-T-Y-L-A and uh, if you get those uh, tweets sent uh, in the next week, we will uh, pick out uh, the most popular ones uh, and uh, add those for the listeners' award when voting opens during next week's show. All right. So, we, so, we, so we're not having a specific listener award for who they think has made the most difference to our sport. This is in each category, Tim. Is it? No, just. Just right, an okay. overall one, but it doesn't have to All be right, a person. You could right. have your the four uh, could, for example, be uh, Max Verstappen or Interlagos or All right, I say the Bathurst so, thousand kilometers. Right. So, so the listener award can be then, from any it. from any of our categories. Yes. What what you think uh, is 
has you know made the big contribution as as far as it's concerned whether it's a car a driver a non-driver uh, a motorcycle a track or a race okay i understand okay s-o-t-y hashtag s-o-t-y l-a s-o-t-y l-a is the hashtag on at specutainment can i do a quick couple of tweets uh, can I do a quick promo for this oh, week's yes, of course On you The can. Grid, which is tomorrow oh, yes, at 9pm, uh, yep. and that is the Bathurst Preview. Uh, so race, baby. Bathurst Preview, tomorrow night at 9 here on RS1. Now you can do a couple of quick tweets uh, until the music runs out. Dave Alcock says, sounds like BMW Motorsports in great hands. Thanks to Mike Crack. For a fabulous interview, he's hoping that it all comes together. And a dive through the BMW uh, M archive sounds great. Can we make that happen? Uh, hello to Neil Gardner, who's listening tonight. Uh, the FIA should hang its head in shame. They disrespect the very people they rely on, says a number of people. Often says that, uh, Spectre says we can't go racing without the volunteers. It needs saying every race as it's totally True. Rick says the reason a final penalty wasn't given just dis- typifies the respect given, or in this case not given, uh, to the marshalling community during an F1 event. Uh, it is uh, th- the fact that our uh, support helps the event happen and it couldn't happen without it doesn't even cross their tiny mind. At Specutainment, if you'd like to contribute to that and don't forget it's Ant Davidson coming up after us tonight on a special long one where to next Tim uh, next it's Formula 1 team by team Raw for the Qatar Grand Prix meow yeah okay <laughs> yeah uh, if you're going to say it as Qatar like that Qatar yeah no, that's reasonable I'm, I'm dipping out of this now you carry on uh, once again we start at the back Mercedes Yes, absolutely last. Um, well, a tale of two cars in many ways. Uh, hot off the form they had in Brazil, the cars carried on looking, apart from the first practice, when they, which was totally unrepresentative because it's happening in the middle of the day and not in the dark like the rest of the, the sessions. Um, car looked a little bit better suited than the Red Bull. Uh, Lewis really came alive on Saturday, put in a cracking qualifying lap. Um, Valtteri, not so bad, good enough for third, should really have been second. This is the problem, he's just a little bit off where he needs to be to help Lewis. And he was even more off after he got picked up one of the mini yellow flag issues. Then he was even more off because he made a terrible start, um, which kind of opened up the field behind Max Verstappen. So Max was able to effectively dictate what went on apart from winning, which is why he was, even without the virtual uh, uh, safety car, going to get the fastest lap. And that was very much down to uh, Valtteri not being there. They pushed Valtteri as long as possible to try and get some more points. And he was probably on target for fourth when he had his front left go, first one to go, uh, very early in the lap. And after trailing the car around for a long time, when they put the car back together, they put a tyre on it, a few laps later, they retired him. Um, Lewis was imperious, fantastic. He was completely in control the entire time, not any any way whatsoever, and won the event very simply. Um, a disappointment, he only gained six points rather than seven or eight on max. So let's move on to Williams. Uh, yeah, two cars, um, two identical problems in different parts. Of it. They, they also suffered, as did only Mercedes cars, actually, from the front left going as they attempted to get the one stop, um, despite having no issues 
uh, with the tyres earlier in the weekend. It just seemed that they're pushing in race trim with the heavy weight to start the car and then perhaps not being rubbed up as much as they would be and then hitting those curves, which they were very fond of doing because they're very attractive curves, the motorcycle curves. Uh, both of them lost uh, tyres. It resulted in Latifi not finishing and Russell finishing in 17th, which was penultimate. Russell did put in a better qualifying performance again than Latifi, uh, but really Williams is having a very, very kind of sad drift out to the end of the year. Haas. Uh, Mazepan was even worse than normal, though he had kind of an excuse that he hadn't got many laps done. Some of it was not his fault, some of it was his fault. Uh, and in the race, I mean, initially, done a lot back initially year, it was his it, fault because he ran over the curves and uh, destroyed the car. Yeah, um, but yes, the car should probably have been uh, built a little bit stronger. He missed one of the practice for a car reason, though. Oh yes, um, once, once but, they uh, uh, had his new. Uh, tub done uh, the wiring loom didn't work so they had to redo that mm. and only just finished it before qualifying so he went out for qualifying uh, in a car that I don't think was probably ready well it didn't matter he was, he, he, he was always going was, to be last yeah and he's, he did what he did he's done quite a few times before in the first stint he was kind of on mixed pace you know they were there or thereabouts. about they had a little, little couple of battles as usual but come the first stop he just drops away um and ended up let's see he ended up a lap behind mick almost just under a lap behind mick who i think is kind of doing the best he can with the machine it's very hard to know where he is uh over in the scheme of things he's just all we know is he's better than mazepin um how much better not sure, but you know, given the fact that Mick needs a year to learn normally, so he should be absolutely lethal next year. And Mick's going to be rejoining Sebastian Vettel at the Race of Champions. It's been announced this week. Uh, Alfa Romeo next. Mm. Uh, yeah, they're also they're also drifting into nowhere land, aren't they? Um, I'll be honest with you, because I was doing the Sebring twenty four hours, I had to watch the highlights rather than the race live, and I don't remember the Alfa Romeo's being on the screen at any point. I watched um, the whole I can race tell you from the results and... on tape delay, <laughs> and I also don't remember seeing the Alfa Romeo's on screen at any point. <laughs> so well done for fourteenth and fifteenth, but yeah, they're also drifting into nothingness. They got one driver who's retired, who's on his way to retirement, and another driver's on his way to Formula E. Um, yeah, yeah, they can still, you know, if, if it's a crazy race, they can still get a decent result, but. Yeah, not much going on. I do remember seeing a lot of Yuki Sonoda in the Alpha Tari, and not for the right reasons. Yeah, Sonoda, yeah. Well, Sonoda and um, Gasly did really, really well on Saturday. The car was well. I think Gasly was... Yeah, Gasly, of course, after all the... Um, uh, not disqualifications. Um, uh, grid penalties ended up second overall. Yeah, it's a fantastic start. Um, I think... And certainly, Sonoda was also in the, uh, the top 10. I can't remember off hand exactly where it was. But... Um, then when they got into the race, they were, Gazi particularly, was really, really leaning on that front left, which was a big issue. So they had to change the tyre, and then he kept leaning on it. So they had, they had huge issues with tyres. Snowden was actually pretty good in the first few laps. He was able to hold back. It was, was it, it was Stroll and Boss, I said, holding back, wasn't it? So he got kind of done by both of them with a double slipstream and, and DRS. So that was 10, 11 laps in. So Snowden actually, I thought, put in a relatively good race. But the, the big losers were Alpha Tauri, who were battling for fifth overall. And as we'll find out later, their major rivals had an absolute coup this weekend. So we move on to McLaren. Yeah. Uh, yeah, disappointing for McLaren. Disappointing for Danny Ricciardo, who um, looked slow all race. Well, so he looked slow for the start of the race. And then we go, why is he so slow? Why is he, what's wrong with him? Turns out he had an erroneous fuel consumption warning. 
And so he was on a massive fuel saving uh, program, two seconds a lap, uh, almost from about lap three. And then suddenly, I think around the time of the pit stop, they managed to, they found out it was a completely load of rubbish and then he had loads of fuel. So I mean, we would have thought they would have known that because they would, they would know how much they put in the car. So these engines aren't going to suddenly start consuming 20% more. So it does seem to me that the, uh, the issue there was engineers believing a sensor rather than using their own logic. So I don't have a lot of sympathy for the engineers. I have a lot of sympathy for, for Danny Rick. And by then the damage was done and he ended up in 12th. Lando was going very well, um, looking, I think, fourth, fifth, um, which is a good result for, for the McLaren on that one-stop strategy. But then he too had his tyre go, he said, with no warning. And he had a real go at um, Pirelli. But the pace was there. We got, the, got, got round. Luckily, it went quite near the pit lane. But he did lose a bit of time and he dropped down the field and managed to get back up to ninth and score a couple of points. Aston Martin. Um better race for Aston Martin they they, they they you know they've been they're in nowhere's landed in seventh place in the championship you know running a car that's in its sort of unadulterated low rate form this doesn't suit these new regulations which again just goes to show you how much work Mercedes have done because don't forget this is a very it was initially a very similar car to Mercedes but you know Alfa Romeo have managed to do nothing with it sorry, sorry Aston Martin managed to do nothing with it it's practically they've decided to uh, to poach Mercedes chief aerodynamics guy today they will get in two years um, Federal managers creep into the points after a, a difficult start where he ends up off the track in 10th and Lance Stroll put in his best result of the season in 6th. He didn't say it was his best race, his best result um, on a, I think on the one side as well. So uh, decent points for Lance and he continues to be the best of the pay drivers. Sorry, the best of the drivers daddy's paid for, sorry. Ferrari. 7th and 8th, one-stop strategy. Uh, Science ahead of Leclerc. Um, yeah, I'm... I'm Again, this is really where they're at. I mean, they, they, they rather than being third fastest team, they're the fourth fastest team because one of the other teams we'll talk about in a second just found this track absolutely suited them. Again, I still think they're having a, a positive run to the end of the season. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see what they can take from it to get a complete regulation to change because the engines are carrying over. So I think Ferrari probably quite enjoy it and they managed to extend their lead over McLaren for third, which means it's now going to take a, a Monza like miracle for McLaren to reclaim third in the Constructors' Championship, so they'll be fourth. It looks like they'll be nailed on for fourth now. Alpine. Yeah, well, blimey, yeah, we've got two teams to go and one's Alpine. Um, for some reason, the car looked fast from Friday. For some reason, it carried on being fast. Now, this, is, this is fast in comparison to cars that's normally slower, though, like Ferraris and McLarens and um, Alpha Tauri. It carried on being fast through Saturday. I think, you know, Anonsa was up, up the front on merit before he gained a couple more positions due to uh, penalties. Ocon as well going well. And getting the race, they made their one-stop strategies work. Um, you know, they, they've had a bit of luck with Bossas having a problem and Perez having a problem, but you've got to take that piece of luck. And we have Fernando Alonso getting his first podium since 2014. Espen Ocon coming in fifth, though comprehensively outperformed by the old stager all weekend. And from nowhere, it was a great weekend. But I absolutely guarantee you, if you turn around and ask Davide Brivio or uh, Marcus in Tomczewski why they had a good weekend, they wouldn't know. And finally, Red Bull. Um, on a purely sporting level, Sergio Perez loused up qualifying. Max Verstappen was unlucky. I know Max has done this before, but I think he was a tiny bit unlucky with the yellow flag because he was being it was this confusion i talked about earlier in the show about you know the, the fia trying to pull him in and shake him in and shake him out but in, he did go past it and it's a slam dunk he did get caught going past it uh luckily because of the bad start made by bottas and a good start made by max he managed to make up i think three places in the first um 
couple of corners, but the, the risks of being at the back were shown as he was massively chopped by Alonso in the second or third corner. Uh, managed to avoid him, no harm, no foul. I mean, we're talking about end plate crackage, but I couldn't see it. Um, after that, he tried to get anywhere near Lewis, couldn't. Um, Lewis was absolutely measuring his pace against Max. Whenever Max came in, Lewis came in. Uh, Max picked up a coming in after the second, went for the fastest lap, got it. And Lewis apparently was all building up to try to hit the fastest lap back on the last lap, but that was completely scuppered by the virtual safety car called out for. I can't remember who it was called out for. The virtual safety car they called out for the, for debris three laps ago. And Max then came in very cleverly and took some soft tyres and then blitzed the fastest lap even more again. So effectively, Max, in a, in a, in a, uh, a car that really uh, wasn't quite on the level of Lewis Hamilton, um, did the best he could. Absolutely, a great, great performance by Max Perez. Went through the field. Then they had they decided to put him on a two-stop, which I think was probably wrong um, as far as ultimate pace was concerned. But certainly was better concerned as front left tyres blowing up the concern. And actually, in a way that the just as the virtual safety car worked for Max, it worked against Perez. It took away a couple of laps for him to try and gain on Alonso to move forward. And um, before we come off this, I need to talk about the rest of the stupidity this weekend. And and I think you know, luckily I have been consistent in my just my despising of Christian Horner for at least a year now. Um, this was a great one. Out, out with the marshal's comment, um, he decided that that, that, that the FIA put in a new test on the rear wing. It's not an official test; it's a test of a test. So it doesn't matter if you fail it. He then said, well, because of the test of the test, Mercedes had changed their rear wings and they were no longer as fast as they were before despite the fact that absolutely every statistic showed they were exactly the same speed ahead of, of Verstappen as they have been in Brazil. It's just, it, it, he really is in the wrong job. He should be the government minister for making stuff up because it, that kind of weaselly, I say this, and you prove him wrong, oh no, I think you'll find my right honourable friend was actually saying the wing was the wrong shape, not the wrong size. Um, you know, whole, Marco is just a mouthpiece and you have to kind of ignore him. He's 77 and mental. But Christian Horner is a team principal and should know better. Yeah. And I am also disappointed that he was only reprimanded and wasn't actually fined. Or, you know, why why can't they do what they do with football managers when they, they cross the line? Just say, right, that's it. You're, we're taking your pass away for two races. So you can't come to the race. Much as the manager sitting in the stand. Mm. That'd be a much better punishment, wouldn't it? And much also, severe, I'd love to see... On uh, the TV. I'd love to see the right honourable Nadine Dorries as the uh, team principal of uh, Red <laughs> well, Bull Formula uh, One for a couple of weeks. Worse. Um, um, so there we are. So at the end of that, um, the lead now is eight points. Two races to go. It's um, momentum advantage to Lewis Hamilton, but points advantage to Max Verstappen. This from uh, Alan Prosser. The Alpha team had more coverage on this week's Top Gear than during the Qatar race. And <laughs> Stephen Loic, and I do like this, uh, Max and Lewis should start at the back of the grid in Saudi Arabia just for the fun of it. Well, everybody uh, should start at the back of the grid in Saudi Arabia. Maybe, I don't know, Silverstone and not Saudi Arabia <laughs> at all. I'm not but sure I'd want to race around yeah. Silverstone in this time of year. It'd be fantastic, them dodging through the lights, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, uh, and pit still stop better than Iceland going to be a bit of an issue, yeah. <laughs> still better than Saudi Arabia. Uh, mm. Right, I need on. to move on very quickly. Um, yeah. Because yesterday I got a press release that I thought, oh, this could be candidate for pointless press release of the week. Avalanche mm-hmm. Andretti Formula E has announced that Audit, <laughs> Tax Advisory and Risk Firm Crow UK has been named as the official accounting service supplier for the team. And I'm thinking... This is a very niche press release. And then I'm thinking, ah, 
they've only announced one driver so far. I bet this is a precursor to them announcing uh, their second driver, who just happens to be the son of the managing director of Crow Accountancy. And it turns out I was wrong. This genuinely is a dull and pointless press release. Uh, <laughs> because their second driver is whom, Shay Adam? Oliver Askew, the Floridian, is getting an opportunity to race once again with Andretti. He found a lot of success with them in the Indy Lights series. He ran uh, in IndyCar, but that was with uh, Arrow, Schmidt, Peterson, McLaren, or not Spam, as we call it. And uh, now he's going to Formula E back with Andretti. I like this relationship. So who's the driver? Who's the who's the driver who's who is has a filial relationship with the the company? Oh, no one. They genuinely are a company that clearly, as part of being appointed as the official accountants, demanded a press release. It was the title of the. It was the title of the press release was financial. Financial controls in Formula E require this to happen, kind of thing. And I'm like, eh? What? Anyway. They do have a cost cap, don't they, Nick? Okay. Yes, they have one for years. And I'm sure they've probably had different accounts in the past. Uh, Shall we do a bit of Visit Cayman Island Sports Car News? We shall. And uh, despite winning Daytona in 2018 and Tony in 2019 and Sebring in 2019. Uh, Grasser have decided to abandon the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship in favour of all things German, Shay. Yes, they've had a very difficult season this past year in GTD. One podium, uh, a lot of DNFs, a lot of broken cars, and Grasser will be focusing on DTM next year with not one, not two, not three, but four cars. So good luck to them running over in that championship. Any clues as to drivers? Uh, I have not heard yet, but there are no. quite a plethora of Lamborghini factory drivers that are looking for work next year. Mm. Should just make the point that it's not just IMSA that they've backed out of. It's everything. They're only going to be in DTM next year. So, well, no the, the only other thing GT that they were Cup still in was uh, ADAC GT ADAC. anyway. They're yes. slowly withdrawn from everything else over the last Correct. three or four years anyway. Um, no SRO involvement or anything like that for probably three years correct yeah it's Uh, been a little while do you think this has anything to do with the changes to gtd that are coming no i think they had a customer who would have been willing to keep going but uh, i'm not sure if that relationship was going to keep flourishing and honestly right now i don't know of a single team running a lamborghini and imsa for next year so these things come in waves um waves and flowing and and we've got quite a few ferraris we've got uh the bmws coming in we've got audis we've got a lot of porsches but right now lamborghini is not the car of choice tell us about tf sport tf sport are running the dubai 24 hours they've announced the car and it looks really cool as far as livery is concerned red and black uh with white accents does that suit your fancy john because i know you don't like black and white but the red and white it's a day-night car, is what Tom Furrier has said. They've teamed up with Jewel, who are uh, race winners and, and, in fact, champions in Gravenic racing in the past. I remember them running TCR cars, and Nick will remember this uh, as well. With very sim- It's kind of like the Paul Smith stripes, um, for those of you who are into good tailoring. Um, and they've got a, a red and white side on one side and a black and white side on the other. It's therefore, the day-night. It's really nice. Uh, Jewel know what they're doing. 
they'll be contenders. They will be contenders yeah. in a field, share that looks. I mean, already we're talking now about ninety entries for <laughs> for the Dubai, the Hankook Dubai Twenty Four. Yeah, and with the Motron brothers, uh, you've got Sam DeHaan and Charlie Eastwood looking to be in that car. The rest of the cars in the field, though, you just start looking at it and you start giggling at, at some of the names. And to be honest, Don, I'm getting a lot of the same feeling for the Bathurst race that's going to be taking place in February. There's a lot of similar energy as far as that's concerned, but a lot of good drivers already not lined up for Dubai. Bit of Ferrari news coming in as well. Alessio Rivera has... Uh, had a, a meteoric rise to be to be fair, sure. Yeah, it's been what five years from go karts to being a factory Ferrari driver. Probably not quite that dramatic, but still, for Rivera, somebody who blasted onto the scene at Le Mans two years ago, as far as I'm concerned, watching the lap times coming in from him, helped win the GTE Am Championship. Helped Perotto finally get that Le Mans win. He deserves to have the prancing horse on his chest for quite some time. And finally, in the in this little part of the Visit Cayman Island Sports Car News, Elior Castro Neves. <laughs> this, this is a, a rumour that's been going around for a while. It's now official. This is my not-surprised face in any form. <laughs> uh, Elio, who's driving with Meyershank Racing in IndyCar full season next year. Remember, he got the win for them at the Indy 500 this year. He's been announced as their endurance driver for the coming season. He raced with them at Motul Petit Le Mans this year. He raced in the Daytona 24-hour this year with the other Acura team, the Konica Minolta team. Elio is a guy who's very strong at Daytona, Sebring, and Petit. Why would you not want him in your car for those three races? And that's exactly what Ollie Jarvis and Tom Blancfist have to look forward to. Uh, we've got Anthony Davison coming up in a special extended interview that we, we recorded earlier on today. Uh, Nick, before we go, you were at Sebring with uh, Andy Marriott at the weekend for the 24 hours of Sebring. Ant and I talked about this actually before we recorded today and he was just shaking his head when I was telling him uh, about this. It worked, it happened, Kravennik and the the track and the teams did a a cracking, cracking job uh, to get it on. It moved to Saturday, Sunday rather than Friday, Saturday and had a pretty decent battle at the front of the field in GT3 between uh, between the uh, the Audi and the Lamborghini. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a brilliant event. Um, uh, you know, the, the, there was a kind of a, you know, a glow that it, got, it actually got started at all. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was interesting because we, we got through what we got through the morning, which would have been 13 hours, pretty much unscathed. And that was when the car started dropping out. We lost seven in the end, I think, mm. maybe an eight. Um, but it was some great racing. The track was great. We had a fantastic mixed conditions, which made it really, really interesting. So we had all the tactics playing. It was lovely to be um, back with Andrew again. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was, great. 20, it was a great event. A lot of people said 24 hours at Sebring. They weren't sure about it. I actually think it, it worked. You said there was, a bit of, there was a bit of attrition towards the end, but I think people will have learned. Uh, there's a three-year contract is what I'm led to believe. Uh, who and indeed Ray, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, they should get. I think they'll get a few more. I think you know, there was having put it on, having put it on in extraordinary difficult circumstances. I think that, that the people, I, I didn't see anybody who didn't enjoy being there once we finally got going, and everyone knows the the, the problems are a one-off. So I can't see why it wouldn't come back over again. I can't see why Amer- more American teams wouldn't come across. I mean, I think they have an issue with the week before Thanksgiving, which may be putting off some of the American teams. Um, can't be any later for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, I, th- I, don't, I don't think the actual. I think now we've seen 24 hours of, of Sebring doesn't actually kill the cars that much. Most of the cars that fell out was accident damage, to be honest with you, and that was a lot of it was caused by the mixed conditions. But um, yeah, I think that's probably going to encourage people. But you know, they can get it perhaps a week earlier in the calendar. Um, well, well don't forget, Petit, Petit was late this year, so they'll have a little yeah, bit more true. wiggle room. Uh, yeah, I mean, they got all the people from the Mission and Pilot Challenge who come across and do it, couldn't they? Well, yeah, to if, if they do it the week after Petit next year, that, that would be a perfect date, wouldn't it? That would be middle of October yes. instead, wouldn't it? That would, that's how it would work out. Uh, thanks to Mike Crack tonight, the head of BMW M Motorsport. Next week, we've got his opposite number from Chevrolet Racing and, in fact, in GM as... Uh, uh, we have got Laura, Laura Wontrup-Klausner. Uh, she'll be our big interview next week, talking about Corvette, of course, uh, the bigger picture with Cadillac as well. She'll be our big interview at 9 o'clock UK time. Uh, in the meantime, thanks to Dex, to Nick, and to share our executive producer was Tim Gray up in London. At the Christmas Eve was Eve Hewitt, who's our responsible <laughs> adult. And sacks are still bulging, I can tell you. Uh, all the details about that will be on the sure Radio Show Limited. For you. Yeah. Mm. Uh, <laughs> mm. uh, the, all the details will be on the Radio Show Limited uh, uh, collective on Facebook. The t- totally taking my concentration away there. In that case, Tim, I'll tell uh, you that uh, Andy Davidson uh, was talking to John earlier, and you'll be able to hear that uh, Tyler's long one next. It's been a busy week for Ant. Yesterday he was uh, pretending to drive around a circuit that's not finished, and tomorrow he's going to be driving around a circuit in the dark. So uh, uh, good of Ant to find a gap in his schedule for us. Uh, we'll be back but there's with no more time to explain. Next week, there's no time. And there's no time explain. to explain because the llama is going Christmas shopping with all those lovely discounts. Bye-bye. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. For more, subscribe to Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts.